you need to have this life-altering experience wherein you can confess all your sins and you can do all of these things and it'll change you. Just like I have to go to school, I have to go to church on Sunday mornings, mm. uh, but you know, at least there's donuts. <laughs> <laughs> People can be very decent, kind, uh, caring, loving people who, when faced with dogma, turn into raving lunatics. When you told me you were joining, you said you were driving across the country and you just felt as if God had forsaken you. And in hindsight, I look at it and it's like, Jesus, driving across Kansas to make anybody fucking feel forsaken. (laughs) (laughs) Greetings. Dave here to welcome you to Long Walk Short Drink episode 89, as in 1989! Down to the funky drummer, that is right, we are talking, do the right thing, Steel Magnolias, the fabulous Baker Boys, you can hear the tapes rattle, and there are visual aids for those of you watching this one on YouTube. Also, the good version of Pet Cemetery. Uh, I only have this DVD compilation, unfortunately, of that one. And When Harry Met Sally, a perfect film. I'll fight anyone who says differently. Tango and Cash, super fun. Lethal Weapon 2, never go through the drive-thru. Always walk up to the counter. How about Road House? <laughs> My voice cracked on that one. Roadhouse, in which Patrick Swayze's Dalton has somehow perhaps a even more magnificent quasi-mullet of hair than Martin Riggs. And Sam Elliott, not on the box anyway here, could not be cooler and cannot be bothered to wear underwear. How about goddamn Batman? Well, Tim Burton's Batman more accurately. Love it. Still, John Woo's The Killer. A Mickey Mouse, a Dumbo. Heathers, yes, please. Say anything. <laughs> I want to get hurt. That's right. Great hurt acting in the best, of the in not the best of the best, best of the best, where Eric Roberts, <laughs> while he dislocates his shoulder, uh, just like Martin Riggs and Lethal Weapon Two, got to pop it back in. Though it's played much more for drama in this than than that, but. Um, oh, thank God, the heaters finally went off. Um, so this movie, <laughs> Eric Roberts, you're right, and Chris Penn are both members of the U.S. National Karate Team, coached by James Earl Jones. And if you don't cry at the end, they're they're in a tournament and they're fighting against Korea, competing against Korea, Korean martial artists. And uh, if you don't cry at the end of this movie, you got to get your heart checked out. Uh, not speaking of tear jerkers. Field of Dreams. James Earl Jones was very busy that year, 1989. You know who else was busy in 1989? Jean-Claude Van Damme. He made Cyborg 
and Kickboxer. Oh, I don't know if they both made them that year, but they both came out in that year, 1989. Now, listeners to our show um, might know that we have a whole episode dedicated to Cyborg, which is, I don't know that that's one of Van Damme's best movies, but it, whatever we dedicate, <laughs> that was the episode 13 in particular, in which we talked about him. And there's even like a video uh, version of that, special video version of that with tons of stills from the film on our YouTube channel. Now, uh, Kickboxer might just be one of Van Damme's best films, or certainly a quintessential Van Damme film. And uh, in the last week, I have purchased a t-shirt with this glorious VHS um, box art from a company called Media Crypt. And just last night, I watched it, uh, Kickboxer, that is, for the first time in ages, and for the first time ever in HD or even a widescreen. And I had I had this whole actual <laughs> this whole bullet point of bullet pointed list that um, that I was going to read to you, but uh, I decided I just decided that uh, now is not the time. <laughs> We're not talking Kickboxer or any of those movies. So you can kind of see them stacking up here next to me, uh, and just like we're not talking about how Nine Inch Nails' first record, Pretty Hate Machine, came out in 1989. And uh, we're certainly not talking about Dante Wright, the 20-year-old black man who was shot and killed during a traffic stop this week by a white police officer in the Minneapolis area who had been on the job six years longer than he'd been alive, supposedly confused her taser for her handgun and shot him in the chest. We're not going to get into how that happened just 10 miles from where former police officer Derek Chauvin, who's on trial for murder right now, knelt on George Floyd's neck for nine and a half minutes, eventually killing him as he lay handcuffed on his stomach, begging for his life. Fuck, just begging to sit up. Or the newly released body body cam video showing the killing of 13-year-old Adam Toledo, a Latino boy shot with his hands up and the unmistakable sign of surrender by a white police officer in Chicago, or the latest of the 45 reported mass shootings in this country in the last month. We're not talking about any of that stuff. Uh, in this episode, we are talking about something else, commonly discouraged and polite conversation, religion. Buckle up, because our pal Twinkie is going to take you from his dark night of the soul driving back to Ohio from seeing Willie Nelson at Red Rocks in 1999 when he made the decision to begin his repentance and become a member of the Apostolic Christian Church through his baptism and traumatic renunciation of that religious tradition, which he goes so far as to call, quote, a steaming pile of shit about an hour and a half in. He also tells us about, quote, kissing a lot of dudes. And <laughs> I'm hitting the highlights here in a salacious and hopefully humorous way. But all this and more is said in this really open and emotional conversation that I am so grateful to have had and to have the opportunity to share with you. Um, but before we get into that, I, I want to tell you quickly about some things that I made since we last talked. Um, oh, a quick note about the music play during the breaks. I don't think I've done this before, and ordinarily I wouldn't, but they're both songs of mine and I, that I felt were germane to the conversation. And usually if I include a song during a break, it's, it's like a clip reference you know, something in the conversation in some way. And I don't, you know, I, it's usually a popular song and I hope it don't get dinged too badly by YouTube's automated copyright restrictions. And so for that reason, I also keep it short. But for this first break, I've done something 
even further unusual, which is to I'm going to play a whole song, uh, a music video actually, um, for my song uh, "Wise Blood." It's on uh, this did not come out in 1999 or 89. Uh, the "Light the Dark" album here, which you can get uh, on vinyl if you're so inclined, as well as stream it everywhere, and as well as on this um, the digital EP, the "Wise Blood" EP with some cool remixes and stuff, but. I'm actually not just playing it for that. I was going to play the clip as part of the, you know, because as an extension of the conversation, but something else that it, while it didn't happen in the last month, it was, I became aware of it only recently. So um, long walks for a short drink here, but um, the music video for this was directed by a guy called Bobby Makar. And Bobby Makar was someone I went to college with. And um, he, he made a, we ended up a few, for that light the dark album he made a bunch of music videos um for me and bobby i went and have been filling out my my website a lot recently and so i was going back and crediting people and and looking him up uh i saw that he had passed away uh in the fall of a uh, blood clot and i hadn't talked to him for years but i don't know it really hit me and um and so i wrote like a i kind of collected some things wrote some tributes that are on the my website and, and social media and stuff, but um, he was only 35 and uh, he's just a wonderful guy and would have also fit in really well to, um, to the long walk, short drink ecosystem. <laughs> you know, he, uh, he, uh, he loved Batman. <laughs> he loved Kevin Smith. He used to always say we'd, he would take a bullet for Kevin Smith and uh, his Facebook profile, which is I think public and, and, uh, you see his obituary there and stuff. It's actually a picture of Kevin Smith spooning him at a, at a Q and A. Uh, he had Bobby had kind of a, a Quentin Tarantino vibe about him. Loved movies like Quentin Tarantino, but like without the douchiness. Uh, he was just a great dude, and it really saddens me that you know I won't get to make more stuff with him or just hang out. I wish I would have been able to, you know, at least get him on the the show so you guys could have get to know him a little bit there's a in the in the blog post i wrote um on my website i include a little flip video like diary thing i was doing at the time where you get a taste of, of bobby and i talking about playing these music videos and you get a taste of his uh personality there but anyway so sort of as an extension of the conversation but also as a tribute to bobby um when you hear so video you, you watch if you watch this on youtube then you can watch the uh the director's cut of the wise blood music video which is really uh the music video is very ins inspired idea because i would stop my foot in singing that song and so bobby had this idea that i would like st you know play the song in like a stark studio environment and stomp my foot like through the frame basically it's it's, it's really cool he pulled it off really well the reason it's a director's cut is because um we made the choice not to lip sync and to rather kind of have the <laughs> the sort of frothing seething, seething quality that that song can have at times just on display and so it's all backlit and it's, it's kind of gross the spit <laughs> the amount of spit that's uh out of my mouth and um so i trimmed that back in the, in the versions that are published online but uh his his original version just you know it was his idea and i i was i was cool with it but but anyway so it's a little gross but you can take it <laughs> and i'm play it here in tribute to him and so so there's that, and the um, and the second 
the second uh, audio, the second sort of song clip for the second break is another one of my songs. This one from the Furious Light. I forgot to bring down the the CD to show you, but uh, I do just play a clip of that. But I, I mention it here because it is produced by Moto, uh, my brother, who we call Moto on the show here, of course. Um, and he made a produced a whole album for me by that name. And um, this, uh, he also plays all the uh, guitars on it. Um, and and well, I play the acoustic guitar, um, but some funny thing that I remember is that um, something happened when we were recording the take for my acoustic guitar where I couldn't hear it in my headphones like I was supposed to. And, uh, but I, I, I was already having trouble with the timing of it because I was used to playing it on my own and I was trying to fit it into the other instruments that were going on. So I was watching Moto closely. Again, video viewers are, can see this, but so he was kind of miming guide to like how and when i ought to strum um he was really just kind of into it you know kind of his eyes closed and and i didn't want to stop to tell him i couldn't hear well enough because i was messing up a lot anyway so i was just like well just see how far this goes but i ended up making it the whole way through the song not being able to hear myself just kind of feel it a little bit but follow his his sort of hand gesture like he kind of directed me through it anyway it's pretty cool and and though you don't hear it super well in the mix that played here there is a a really a really nice acoustic version that is the basis of it that uh that you can get on dreamingoutloudrecords.com which brings me to what i wanted to uh share with you so uh the other person playing on the the furious light uh, album that's not my brother or myself well we got the cellist tara hanish um and a couple small guests but the the drummer for it um is our friend brian yost and um so the in the summer before well he plays on wise blood too actually all those kinds of different percussions um he um the summer before we started long walk short drink palmer came to visit and all that uh we had the discussion that we're like we should start recording these and keep in better touch um i did a short tour with Moto and Yoast for the Furious Light, and we played a handful of shows around the Midwest and East uh, out into New York. But uh, anyway, so I mentioned that because when we were in a van, I think on the way from Akron to Chicago, uh, Yoast played this old um, band's record that he was in. When when he and I first started playing together, he, he was his main sort of gig was as the drummer for a band called NJ's and the Jeff. And um, as it turned out, so NJ's being non-Jeff's and Jeff. <laughs> and uh, Jeff, the Jeff, was also along with us because Yost had continued to play with him in a group called, uh, they called Midland Uprising. So the tour was like, would open a show with Midland Uprising, which is Yost and the Jeff. And uh, and then they would both play in, in my band for with my songs and, and Moto. Anyways, we're all in the car. We listened to this uh, this album, which is, they were like a, NJ's in the Jeff here. I'm going to bring it up. Uh, this is so I made a kind of a documentary for them, but I didn't film it. This is what's kind of interesting. So, so I'm going to share my uh, screen here so that you can see a bit of the uh, the website. Uh, hopefully, this is working. All right, so there it is, DavidAlman.net. Um, I've been working on this for the last couple of years. Oh, there's the uh, got my Instagram feed there at the bottom. There's the a clip from from Pulp Fiction about get the shot. I got my first Pfizer shot, and I kept thinking this. I mean, I'll just I'll play this for you. <laughs> I'm so fucking stopping you. 
shot. Oh, that always delights me. Anyway, okay, oh, we're going too far afield here. But so you, um, so on davidalman.net, uh, I've been filling out particularly. Um, the, uh, there's a bunch of stuff, and I, I kind of want to go through and show you all of it, but I won't. So here we go. We're, we're on the podcast. You, this is where uh, lwsdpod.com directs you there, and you can see uh, video versions. We'll take you to the YouTube site. There's Palmer and I grinning ear to ear. All the guest appearances I had on the uh, <laughs> damn podcast, and I had a Dolph Lundgren podcast. <laughs> you can see there, it's so silly. Tons of music. Uh, if you go to the music drop down there, you can link to Dreaming Out Loud Records.com, where there are forty some uh, releases. All the music we talked about here, and uh, and a lot more. Um, including the NJ's album. Let's see what else. So uh, in the, oh, oh, you got the annual mix albums at the bottom, like 17 years worth. Another plug for my 2020 mix. Hellacious year. One of the best music mixes I've ever made and includes a very extensive liner notes. Uh, okay. But what I got on here to show you, is, so I'm trying to like um, build towards these sort of film uh uh, documentary projects actually one of them really centering around that furious light uh album and you know i'm sure i'll tell you more about that as these things become a reality but um i'm trying to kind of get the part of the part of the whole story i'm telling is this bizarre history i have of complete first completing and now just like outright making uh, autobiographical documentaries and though and or or about me and or my group of friends kind of centered around our sort of art for art's sake approach, uh, you know, making things regardless of um, whatever other reward there is than the act of self-expression and um, and creation itself. So, um, so we got the music-related videos and short films. There are tons on this. I was putting all this together. This is how I found out about Bobby. Oh, down in here you see the uh, the Yield music video. It's on the Long Walk Short Drink channel. But this stars stars features <laughs> uh twinkie who we'll hear from very shortly here i promise there he is actually in the me filming him in the uh rear view mirror there anyway so in filling out this kind of film tab oh there's a the enormity anthology we'll click on that real quick takes you to this thing i made of all the moto's first band there um what else you got uh oh, there it is nj's in the jeff 2008 spring tour diary okay so this is a thing I was going to just put like a listing here on the web page for this as being something I did. Um, but I ended up, I couldn't resist kind of creating what I, what I call here. And what I'm going to share is this, this sizzle reel, which is basically like an extended trailer. So it ended up being five minutes. I wanted it to be a trailer, but it, five minutes is what it ended up being. And so I'm going to end up playing that at the very end of the podcast like after everything after all the music if you're curious to see it you can see it there um but i'm just gonna tell you a little bit about it now and then we'll get to the the, the show so if you're if you're watching the video version you can see a picture the the website here the njs and the jeff kind of so they were a, a trio like a power trio very much like a cream type vibe uh and uh here's the like the two sentence thing or whatever so NJ's and the Jeff emerged from the musical hotbed of Kent and Akron, Ohio in early 2007. They disbanded after only 18 months, but left in their wake a blistering seven-track self-titled EP and a few dozen spine-blowing gigs. This two-hour video diary was edited from five tapes shot by drummer Brian Yost during the band's 2008 spring tour. So, 
the interesting story around this, I'm just going to kind of scroll through the website I wrote. And so I was going to put a short listing on here on the website, but I just got so engrossed in this thing yet again that I ended up writing a really long kind of article about it, sharing all these photos. It's really, I considered reading the article to you, but it would just, this would be like a five hour podcast and no, nobody wants that. So, um, but anyway, so what's interesting. So it started from Yost playing that, that blistering EP that I mentioned, and it is, it's like fierce. They played it live to, to recording and um, they were just an incredible. Band. And that's why you would say like spine blowing gigs. Cause it was just really, they were just a really good band. And, um, and so, okay. So I was like, I need to preserve that on the dreaming out loud records site. And so he's like, Oh, I just have these MP3s. And so this was, this went on for like a couple of years, like me trying to eventually there was a CD and we got it. It's now all there. It's that, that's its own story. But in preparing that release, I would see all these pictures actually here. I can scroll up and show you pictures of Yoast holding a handy cam, like a, a little Canon palm quarter. Uh, and then, and kind of filming out stuff in the, cause so the three guys in, in a, in a van, um, and then a photographer, a young lady by the name of Liz, who took a lot of photos for me around the time that some of our, I think Palmer would even know Liz to, uh, to see her. And, uh, so I kept seeing this, yo was holding, there he is again, holding the camera and, uh, and these, these pictures, she, so her whole thing is like, they paid her way. Um, but she was to document the, the tour, take pictures of them like throughout. That was kind of how she would repay them. Um, and so I was getting all these photos from her to, to put together like the, the digital package and stuff. And I was asking him, I was like, where, where, Yos, where are these like videotapes? Um, cause it seems like you're always holding this camera and he's like, oh, they're just in a box in my parents' house. I've never looked at them. He, he's lived in New York for really since right around shortly after this tour, they graduated, he graduated college and has lived and worked in New York primarily ever since. But, um, so anyway, he's like, they're in my parents' house somewhere. And I was like, I need those tapes. You got to get me those tapes, man. I could all put them, I'll edit them together into something for you. Uh, I'm just curious and I've sort of feel like I was on long for the ride via the pictures, but like, this is just so, you know, in my wheelhouse. So I fast forward probably another year and he gave me these five tapes and I really just thought I'll just kind of take the air out of them. And I don't know, just kind of preserve this in some way, maybe make it into a little documentary, but I got so engaged in the story of these young people like setting out on to do i think maybe their first tour i don't know and like they weren't playing fancy places but i just could so identify i mean i just been on a tour like this with, with like half of those guys um and i don't know man i was just really drawn into it because and really drawn in by the idea that no one had seen these things for like 10 ever let alone i was seeing for the first time as an editor 10 years after the fact so i don't know i was just the whole thing was so cool. And I, I just, the human behavior captured there was really interesting to me and revealing and fun. And you sort of in jokes develop and people's personalities are like really clearly defined in the first few moments. I just, uh, you know, if these people, if I didn't come to it so late and these people were off, like, you know, trying to, some of them have like respectable careers and stuff. Like I would want to enter this into found, found film festivals and stuff, but you know, I, you know, it just wasn't, didn't seem right. And, um, 
and even like i'm not going to share i can't share with you like the full film or whatever but this five minute uh sizzle reel gives you a sense of it and uh so i'm gonna put play it at the end I'm kind of setting it up here and um if you're at all intrigued by this um definitely stick around to see that um and and read this article um on my on the website there uh okay i think i think that's good oh there's other stuff here let me i'll just click on it quick you can see there's the crow listing and a really cool like vimeo special edition that honestly is really neat super neat look how fucking cool there's a lot of stuff i want to tell you about there but i've drawn on entirely too long <laughs> so uh so there you go that was a, that's the thing i made and uh and uh, if you're interested check it out um so now to get to this, the conversation at hand this is something of a follow-up to the bonus uh interview we posted with Dr. Corey Anderson a few weeks ago. And we talked to uh, Dr. Anderson about his 2018 article, primarily a socio-religious introduction to the apostolic churches in North America that he published in the Journal of Amish and Plain Anabaptist, Anabaptist Studies. Uh, and this, so this journal, if you're a regular listener, you might've caught that this is one of Twinkie's favorite things of 2020, which he called out in the uh, episode 86, where we kind of went around about our favorite things uh, media-wise, et cetera, that came out in that hellish year. And so these subsequent conversations have kind of stemmed a, a follow-up from that. In that interview, we interjected a little bit about Twinkie's background growing up in the apostolic tradition, formerly joining the church shortly after high school and ultimately leaving the church a few years later. But we wanted to make sure that that we honored kind of Dr. Anderson's um, time and academic integrity and just like kind of kept it about like, what he had found and for us to be able then to use that as a kind of a a basis of understanding of the basic knowledge of uh of apostolic of the apostolic tradition so what he describes is like reading a an encyclopedia article is real overview but then it just kind of led for us we, we at one point in time we we're going to talk about it all together and i'm really glad i think it was probably twinkie himself who thought let's keep these things separate and so that's why that was that what we're going to get into now is much more Twinkie's experience, his story, and how how all of this uh, affected us personally. And so, while that interview was is self contained and um, tons of information, this is going to be all about. This episode is all about Twinkie's story, and I, one he shares with great sensitivity and vulnerability, and therefore bravery, if you ask me. And, and of course, a, a healthy amount of humor from, from him and hopefully the rest of us. Um, we're also joined by Steiner, who uh, grew up in the Apostolic Church alongside Twinkie, but stopped attending as soon as he was old enough to do so. Uh, and then Palmer and myself were asking the questions we always wanted to know, but never thought it appropriate to ask about Twinkie's experience in the ch- church. And, you know, our, cause our, I mean, our experience of that church is it kind of took our, our friends away which is uh just you know how it affected us but this is all the very sub- much more sort of subjective um personal side of all of that um so that's what you're in for and uh, i think it's one of the best things honestly we've ever done with the show and uh i hope you enjoy excited to dive into the nuts and bolts i'm excited to answer all of your questions 
I'm gonna I'm gonna make Steiner answer awkward questions too. Um, we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna just all out in the line here. Apostolic uh, number two. That's episode oh. number two. We're gonna do it. Yeah. And, ep- and number two, probably in more ways than just <laughs> <laughs> it's the apostolic tell-all. You never knew you wanted. <laughs> oh yeah. man, yeah. Oh, uh, we absolutely. Want. <laughs> I don't know where to start. Well, because I mean, it's true though. Just to like, just to go about it. I know Dave, I think, or Palmer, maybe both of you. I don't remember. Have just said like, you know, sometimes you don't really know what is it's comfortable being asked, which is which. I, I appreciate because it can be a little challenging at times to talk about it because you don't necessarily know how deep to go. Right. So with my coworkers, right. I'm going to talk to them at a certain depth about it. And it's going to be high level. I'm just going to tell them like, I kissed a lot of dudes, man. Or like, this is how my mom and dad got married and it's super weird. And, you know, and, and they, they get this level. Right. But I know a long, long, short drink, I can go to this level. And then with other people, it's when I go to Ohio and visit Steiner he has to listen to me at this level for all you audio listeners. I made it really, really big, <laughs> you know, just because he's familiar. Right. And he knows what I'm talking about. And he, he's had the same experience. And I, by no means expect to get to that level at all in this conversation. Yeah. I, um, I kind of stress this on the, um, when we met prior to the, the interview where you know, I really see this as an opportunity for the show to be used uh, for my friends. If they choose to use it to just talk shit out. Like I've done, like, what is this, 89, episode 89? So Yeah, but probably more than that, but it's like session 89 or something, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like all those times that like the bulk of those I have have talked through something on them. So uh, just the idea to be able to let somebody else do that was, was my top priority. But there, uh, I mean, of course there are definite things though, that I am, I have always been curious about. Yeah. So. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, well, sure. one, one question I had maybe to start here. Yeah. Uh, was there anything you really wish you had gotten to in the interview or audibled out of or anything you wanted to cover that you didn't? Oh man, that's such a great question. Um, the answer to that is I'm glad we talked about everything we talked about. I maybe would have sped up the front just a little bit with the history of Anabaptism. Um, I really liked him talking about how he went about this because I think that's really important because he was able to go about it in a way that I think that got accurate information. Had he gone in and said, I am Mr. Study who studies things and I'm smart and I want to hear about your church. He would have gotten bullet points and they're not going to let him in. Right. Um, but yeah. he, like he talked about, he is a man with plain of plain dress. And so people are going to make certain assumptions about him and open up to him probably a little more than what they would have some PhD from Harvard who showed right. up with an army of, people recording and videotaping and whatever, right? So he's able to actually access people, gain their trust. And though it's from a, um, as a non-academic, from an academic standpoint, probably not, not as like correct, I guess, maybe. It, it's accurate in the sense that understanding who apostolics are from my experience, they're probably going to be 
more transparent with someone like him. And so I think it's important that we talked about Dave's questions. Dave had a couple of questions there at the beginning that laid such a great foundation and I think helped him open up. And then I wish I would have covered, I wish I would have gotten into some of the harder stuff a little bit before the end, but I didn't quite feel comfortable. One of the things I wanted to talk about was Steiner's question about them. uh, Sorry, by them, I mean many plain Anabaptist groups having converts who are so young, who are by most accounts children, um, or at least by societal standards are children. I don't know. They're at least minors. Um, yeah. So maybe something that I wish I could have maybe spent a little more time on kind of the tug of war between historic Anabaptism and kind of this modern evangelical thing. We did spend a, a good amount of time on that with technology and what Palmer was talking about as far as uh, uh, congregational preaching styles and so on. Uh, things that he brought up that I hadn't really thought about before that I thought were great were the uh, idea of the, the, uh, the church greeting, um, quick refresher, like if a member were to travel to a different church, uh, be gone for a Sunday and then come back, they would say greetings from wherever. And he kind of chuckled and said, the interesting part of that is now you always get to know where everybody was. That caught my attention uh, yeah. as well as a mechanism um, to keep track of where you were last Sunday. Yeah. Like, it yeah. never crossed my yeah. mind at the time, uh, but it's no. absolutely, I could see where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Because yep. you are taught to be like, Hey, if Larry is gone for a couple of weeks, you know, checking on Larry, maybe Larry's having a hard time. Maybe Larry yeah. went on a binge and got drunk and, you know, hung out with some prostitutes or something, you know? No, I mean, they, but they would like this idea of community and, checking in and making sure everybody's safe yeah. could also be can if you turn it and look at it from a different angle could come off slightly creepy <laughs> and, uh, and controlling kind of, a little yeah, bit like, yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I it's interesting that steiner also kind of picked up on that rather rather quickly because we are aware of that tradition and how that right. takes up a large uh, five, depending on the Sunday, could take up a couple minutes at the end of the service for all these people who are visiting or back from visiting, talking about where they were. And I mean, I, I think for the most part, it's probably good natured and well intended, but I could see where it may not also be such. As most things are there. Like, yeah, that, there's the overtone, which is warm and friendly and communal like that. And then there's the undertone of not so much, a little bit prying, a little bit controlling, a little bit nosy yeah and yeah you know, that's that's everywhere but it comes through in that specific example for sure yeah what was interesting to me was i think part of the reason i didn't why it came to mind at this time was having read in his uh introduction uh paper about the nazarenes in eastern europe and having to keep track of their members um with regards to nonviolence, non-resistance, not being drafted by the military issues with the government and how they were tight, um, tight in keeping track of their members and not letting in outsiders. And that was, none of that applies to our experience with the apostolics, but as a historical note, it made, put me more in the mindset of, you know, there's this group trying to keep their tight, tight knit community and then here's this strange outgrowth or, you know, descendant of that kind of thing. Uh, I found that to be particularly intriguing. Yeah, absolutely. 
yeah, the history helps helps clarify some of the current um, practices, which can be very odd and disconnected if you don't necessarily understand how they go back to Freilich and you know where he comes from and all the constant conflict in Europe and how they how separation from the state was so important to all of them because they felt like there was just these, these, they were corruption and uh, godlessness and all of those were the church could, how could the church be serving its purpose if it was one-to-one attached to these entities? Yeah. I, uh, I, the one thing that I just questioned, I have uh, someone talking about that like circle of people just reaching out and saying, Hey, I was listening to this and uh, I got a text message about that. And uh, he, what he found really interesting was how his motivation for his research was a lot of the research that did exist about Anabaptist were from people who were members and then left and then really just uh, recounted their experiences and there had not been anything from inside uh, those circles uh, providing research, which just again, like from that, if, how it's, that sounds awesome on top. But then if you just look at it from another angle, um, it you start to question if that's your angle, that if that's the lens that you're looking through, it's really hard to remain a researcher and not put in and that not influence your findings, your, your perspective, not influencing your findings. And uh, I, I thought it was interesting where he said that was his motivation was to provide research from inside someone who was a, a participating member of these communities. Um, and you could almost, you, and this is by no means a criticism. So if for some reason Dr. Anderson did happen to hear this, it's not, that's not what it is at all. It's just a thought that I had was, you know, if research, you are supposed to be that quote unquote Harvard researcher that is so detached from this and trying to remain outside of that. So you're not influencing, you know, I guess, you know, the theory is it's impossible to not influence if you're going to observe, but right. I, I wonder if um, if that's your motivation, it's a tricky because it could be perceived then, well, how much influ- how much did that influence your findings? So in this case, I think Twinkie was right that his background, his nature uh, as a Amish Amish Mennonite, beachy mm-hmm. Amish Mennonite. Right. Uh, being plain and Baptist uh, really helped him get the the true story and be comfortable yep. and, and stuff. Yeah, uh, but I, I, especially I in his opening statements, he was uh, he. Doctor Anderson's comments kind of struck me because he said a couple times things like, you know, people need to understand uh, plain and Baptist whether they want to or not. Uh, people need to not underestimate the impact of religion. And as someone on the other side of the fence, I'm like, hmm, you know, it's, it's a little strong for my tastes. Uh, yeah. Even though 
Amish Mennonites Anabaptists are growing at a really rapid pace. Um, Is it the 11 children per family that hints at that? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Having 11 children is certainly above the baseline for American uh, reproductive rates. And Uh, just how like troublesome the world is right now. I feel like that would drive anybody to your, your most familiar religion. If you were inclined to find peace in how chaotic the rest of the world is right now. Right. The overall population for these denominations is still very small. You know, apostolics he cited as being 25,000 people roughly um, in the country. And I don't have the Amish Mennonite numbers in front of me anywhere, but you know, it's tens of thousands, maybe a few hundred thousand, which is not, is not a large group of people. And the trends overall are for, especially younger folks, Gen Z millennials, especially to increasingly be unaffiliated or outright atheist, humanist, agnostic, um, which is certainly where my sympathies lie, um, which is maybe why his uh, comments piqued me. Um, But I I think there was, there's pros and cons to his sympathy to the subject. And it's, I guess, with anything, with any, uh, researcher with any uh, reporter, uh, you have to take that into account. Yep. Dave, was there anything that kind of stood out to you or, or, you know, uh, as you had a chance while you're editing or as you had a chance to think about it that were, you would have talked about more or less or the, that, that kind of prompted anything you wanted to talk about on this episode? Um, I think I was surprised that he was, I mean, we went like an hour over our time with him yeah. and that I was surprised at that. I was surprised that he was just so chatty and I <laughs> happy about it. I re- relate to it. I have a lot of empathy for that. <laughs> and so, uh, but that was a surprise to me and a, and a, a delight really that he warmed to us that much. Um, yeah. and, uh, so that was cool. I, um, there's nothing like, it became clear, especially when we were so kind of early in our questions and there was so much we'd hoped to get to in, in, in the time that we were there. I was like, oh, geez, I don't even know how we're going to, like, we're going to have to go over, blah, blah, blah. But it became really clear to me that we wouldn't get to a lot of the things that we were keeping on the back burner. Most of it, Steiner's questions, uh, I, it's because they were of the more specific and kind of challenging. And he seemed to not it was important to him to that it really be clear that it was just like exploratory, almost like an encyclopedia knowledge, uh, article, collecting knowledge that was considered general knowledge to to that to the people of that faith, and so so that was kind of. I wouldn't say dis. I mean, I kind of, I just, I had hoped to understand a bit more about like what those interviews look like. You know, you get like ten people in a room and you talk to them for what was it, two to four hours. What so what I think I asked this, but I don't know if it ended up in the episode. Was I wanted to know like how, given the fact that so much of it was general knowledge, how much did what part did those interviews play, and what he learned and wrote about, you know, uh, how much did those personal stories kind of infuse, um, what he shared, and and what was the nature like? Did people feel like they were were they cagey and not wanted to open up? He did say that they were very open, um, and so that's in there. 
But I wondered, like, did it take them a while to open up as, as most people do? And then what was the difference then? And were they trying to be like understood? They're like, people think the apostolic tradition is this, but really it's this, like, like they've been burning to clear, clear this up, you know? So I was wondering stuff like that, that we didn't, weren't really able to talk about. Um, but I was really just generally pleased with, um, yeah, the way that yeah, it kind I, of worked out. I hope it didn't come across as, as of, you know, we really wanted to like hold his feet to the fire about this. I mean, he taught, and I have the article pulled up here. He does say that the data presented here, uh, the data presented here are based on exploratory mixed methods. So, I mean, there's not really like this claim of, you know, I spent, uh, you know, multiple years and thousands of hours of dedicated research right. to come to these conclusions. Rather, here's a expose, if you will, on like, if I were to open and up that, time, time magazine yep. or, well, that shows you my age, uh, but, you know, open up, um, vice, right. This is an article in vice or something, you know, where, uh, it's high level, it's kind of rough and dirty and it gets some of the cobwebs out of the way and dust the dirt off the glass. And that's about where it leaves it. You know, that's not exactly how I articulated it, but that's the, <laughs> in that train of thought, that's the conclusion I essentially came to was that. Yeah. Yep. So. And I, I, you know, like Steiner said, we all have our biases and, um, yep. uh, you know, intent obviously is, uh, you have to really, uh, I guess have to rely on the intent in this case, at least of the author, you know, that their intent is to be well, well-meaning. And then in that case, that's probably going to be shown up in the topics discussed, you know, not necessarily right. going to talk about sexual abuse, right? Like, or, or. Right you know, it's just too deep of a topic and doesn't fit when you're just doing those interviews like Dave talked about an exploratory method because you're not going to have those conversations with the average lay member, at least the ones that went to Ritman Apostolic yeah, Church. Right. You're not going to have those conversations. <laughs> well, yeah. And, yeah. and perhaps you would steer clear of that kind of stuff. Because I think what it come down to is like IRB and sort of the, the, you know, like when you, what is it like HIPAA and sh- shit like this, where it's like, when you get yeah. into like proper research, I think he, that's the distinction he was trying to make is like that this isn't that so that I got to find out what IRB actually stands for inter institutional review boards. So it's like, it's shit can get technical and I don't know if it's like legal or whatever, but I think that's the distinction he was trying to make is like, it's like, there's very little, there's very little published quote unquote research about this. You know, and, and he says in his article, it's like, I, I'm writing this to kind of in the hopes that it'll invite more specific um, research to be explored. And um, but for me, it was so much about more about just kind of being a springboard to have an opportunity to talk about your experiences, you know, and to have to not necessarily have had, you know, to read a 60 page academic article to then ask you questions, <laughs> you know, or, or yeah. to feel like you, or for you and Steiner who were in it to feel like we had enough context to be able to not just spend the whole conversation be like trying to explain the, the ins and outs of the, of the tradition. Um, so if I'm just going to, to jump into like the deep end here, because uh, the questions I, the two questions I have, if you can call them that, you could spend 
you know, forever answering. And, and, and I want to say too, um, just in case it's helpful, like in the same spirit of like when we, I think it really helped your idea, Twinkie, to present our little bios to uh, Dr. Anderson to contextualize for him and build some trust by sh- some self-disclosure. So like, um, I'm not going to read my whole thing, but one thing I shared with him that you guys may or may not know, but like I grew up, like, so we know Twinkie grew up in the church, was a member of the church, now isn't, and identifies as atheist. So I shared with him that I grew up in a Christian Pentecostal churches when I was young. So like people speaking in tongues and being slain by the spirit. And my father was a pastor in that, um, if you could call it a denomination <laughs> before I was born and, and in my early years. And then like when I was in middle school, high school, I went to like a Methodist church, which is more, um, less, uh, fringe was probably not the right word, but, but less kind of, but just more. I don't know, subdued. <laughs> uh, I mean, because like the passion, the the type of preaching, that mega church type thing, maybe probably to to be really indefinite about it was what I grew up around. Like really, like people shouting and you know, red faced and passionate, and people singing and going nuts. <laughs> and so that's what I grew up with. And then when I was in, in the Methodist faith, or, or, or like going to those services you know, it was much more like people read their things <laughs> and, <laughs> and sure the pastor preached, but it wasn't, it paled in comparison to the type of like energy I was used to as a kid. But um, anyway, so then, and, and since I was in high school, I, I've never, I have not been a church goer and I guess what I identify as agnostic these days. But, but I, so I say, I repeat some of that here just to say like, I don't want it to feel like now I'm trying to interview you I and oh, like, no. have you give 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 if if I can like off if I can give and take some if you were like well what enough about my fucking religious like, leanings <laughs> what about you man so feel free to yeah. ask <laughs> if that comes up or challenge um anyway so the the kind of overarching things that I would love to to know more about is for you Twinkie like what your experience was like you know growing up in the tradition and then choosing to join and then what then how eventually you chose to to break away and why and as much about that as you you know feel comfortable to share and then for you steiner like kind of similarly like what it was like growing up but maybe what the i don't know what the opposite of that like like why you didn't join and and but i'm sure you know you've got family still in the so i don't know i just i would love to know it felt like this big mysterious thing (laughs) When I was a kid, you know, how much, how much time we got here as much yeah. as we need. Let's do it. <laughs> Maybe, me, but I think that might be a good starting point, Dave, is if we kind of give our perspective, like what we understood about the apostolic church prior oh, yeah, to like, yeah. Yeah, that'd like be growing great. up or like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, That's the great idea. I, Cause I, I, I mean, we talked, I think we talked about this one is, uh, geez, man, beep that shit out. Fuck. Steiner... No, anyone called you that. <laughs> yeah. Well, when when uh, when Steiner, uh, we we were in kindergarten together, right? And yeah. so it, it, we've known each other for so long, and I the this is no joke. And obviously, it's Palmer. So like the first absolute idea about apostolics that I ever had was they don't have TVs. That just blew my mind. Like no, no TVs in the house. And then piecing together, like as we got older, Steiner did have a TV in his house. 
uh, and that got watched regularly, you know, and uh, right next to a spinning wheel that like actual yarn was made on that, that ultimately became socks, you know, like that just, it's just this, that like, that's, that's just what it was. And then, um, uh, after that, I just knew as we got closer to high school and some people started to quote, to quote unquote, join the church, what the implications of that were. And, uh, I honestly, this might've been super presumptive, but I never, once I knew that happened, I never got the in inclination that Steiner was going to join. And then, uh, I Twinkie joining just absolutely blindsided me. Uh, and, and the idea of that, I felt like the other people who had joined from our group up to that point, they, they caught me off guard for sure. They just didn't have, maybe that's better is like, it had a much greater impact. Uh, cause, uh, we really, that after that summer, after everybody graduated ahead of us and then Steiner and I, our year, we graduated the next one that summer, that summer of like 1999, uh, I really, Twinkie and I got really close because like the Star Wars episode one came out and we like stood in line for tickets for that and to get into it. And that's just like one small thing. But you were doing a lot of other stuff that I just like thought was so awesome of like driving across the country to go listen to concerts and and do all that stuff that summer and uh, just absolutely blindsided me. And then flip it the other way where like five years later i uh, you're sitting in my living room out of nowhere uh drinking a beer Having and a beer, just like yeah. yeah blowing my mind so that really i you know I, I i knew there was this commitment and one of the things in dr anderson's article that just really struck me about the, that i did not understand about the anabaptist and i but i did understand when I, because I went to your baptism, Twinkie, and I went to a couple of our other friends' baptisms when they joined the church, and the part that always stood out to me in all of them was that you're going to go under that water. Before you go under that water, you're Twinkie, and then when you come up from that water, you are not Twinkie anymore, and that, like that, that version of you is dead, and it's gone forever and you're a new person coming out of that water. And I, that never sat well with me whatsoever. Uh, Cause it's like that person that they're claiming is dead, got them to that point. How can you just kill them off? You know, like that. And uh, was really troublesome. But then when you read Dr. Anderson's article, it's like, that's, that's like a foundation of that step of quote unquote joining the church is that you let that person drown basically and come out a different one. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's the, I, I, I mean, those are like the big takeaways that I had, uh, in understandings of the apostolic church, everybody, you know, the women wore skirts and head covers and the men kissed on the mouth when they greeted each other. Like, these are all things that's, you know, like, I forgot about that. Out. <laughs> it, it just like it stands out to you when you're not oh, yeah. when you don't grow up around that. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, for sure. And you're and you're like a 16, 17 year old kid. 
Yeah, so, right. Yeah. Everything's, everything's hyper sexualized anyway because you're of <laughs> yeah. you know, where you are in life. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just not, you know, I, I can remember the first couple times that I was in that church just feeling like, man, I am not supposed to be here, you know? Uh, so that's, that's pretty much my perspective that I had going into it. Uh, I just knew that there, I had some really good friends that were a part of that church and there were these few unique things to it, but like, I mean, shit, I would go down to Steiner's house. We'd burp and fart and do just about anything else that we would do at my house down there, you know? And I can remember, playing like on playing doom and stuff online like you twinkie you had a computer so like we did all of those all, all that all that gaming through there that's i mean you guys turned me on to a lot of a, a lot of games that i probably wouldn't have played outside of first person shooters you know and all that was happening during that time too so it didn't it just didn't hit me as impactful until like I think you joined the church that's when I was like holy shit like this actually happens because a lot of the people who were associated with the church that I hung around with I just never it it never Sammy like he's another good one like a good example where I I never thought oh he's gonna join so I uh he's gonna have to go and, and drown himself and come back out as a different person. He never had to do, I knew he wasn't going to do that. And I, uh, probably it was just like youth though, of being again, presumptive that you, that's partly why it, it blindsided me so hard when you joined that I just did not see it coming, which I guess you're not, you're not supposed to either. Right. Like you were kind of taken off guard, right. When you decided to join. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, there was a story going around the church back when, back around that time where a carload of uh, kids went up to Cedar Point, you know, had, had a good old day at the park and then coming home, there was a storm as they're driving back home and that got really bad and a lightning bolt comes down and illuminates this billboard on the side of the road that says repent or something like that. And when they get back, the whole carload uh, decides they wanted to join. Yeah. And, you know, it, it really can just strike literally out of the blue like that. And that was just part of the system. What year was yeah. that? Round about for like in your life? Uh, uh, this 98, 99. Really? Uh, Did it kids, play a factor? It's our you age. And, and you're kind of, is there a, what am I trying to get at? Like, cause I can imagine like so this I'm trying to think how to say this like non-judgmentally I guess it's not I'll just say it and maybe it sounds shitty but the the sense that I got That's what when, this episode is for. <laughs> yeah, to be shitty. Yeah. yeah. Number 2, right? And I guess I'll I'll build up with as quickly as I can cuz I, I think most of my uh under, or like sort of existence or understanding with and around the apostolic uh tradition I mentioned in the Dr. Anderson interview um but Speaking then specifically about our friends, I guess I I didn't like I didn't know it was a thing to, really to be honest that that, that I I knew that there were 
people that were apostolic in our community, tons of them. And you could tell by their dress. And um, I didn't know that there was some distinction about joining, at least not that I can recall that, that your life would be so different. And growing up in the Christian traditions that I did, like the, the baptism was not, um, foreign to me and, uh, and, 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 and having gone, grown up in that kind of Pentecostal thing and then going to the Methodist, there was a difference. Like I think in the Methodist, I don't know if they just like do a little bit on your head or something like that. I can't remember, but like in the Pentecostal, it's like you see in the old Jesus movies, biopics, yeah. you know, they go under the, you know, sometimes in a lake and all that stuff. But I don't remember the idea that like your old self was dying. It was much more about a rebirth was the framing uh, that I recall. Um, so it didn't have that kind of negative connotation and people didn't seem to change that much. Also, I was super young, so the hell did I know? But it seemed like a positive change, if anything, was the sense that I had of it. Um, and that's not to say that joining the apostolic tradition is a, is a negative uh, change in whoever's life, but it was a negative impact on me when my friends started to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so like the first I remember uh, was Heidi and I wasn't like super close with her, but she was just like at the time she and pumps were dating. And that was like, you know, there wasn't a lot of dating going on amongst our, our group of guys. <laughs> so this was like breaking new ground. And, uh, um, and so, but isn't that, so here's, here's our first uncomfortable question. Sorry to cut you off, no, go but, ahead, yeah. but, but that's a great segue for it. But that's kind of an expectation that you have. You you sow those wild oats, right? That I I noticed that that was of the people that joined and that I noticed, and even outside of our circle, I thought there was a period where all of them kind of tried to sow those wild oats a little bit before they joined the church uh, in some fashion, or were a little more risque or a little more um might have a lay person as a as a partner for a little while and then uh that would transition to them then they would make the the jump to the i don't know how accurate that is but i just i i saw i felt like there was a pattern there where there was a little bit of that Um, yeah i noticed that too and that is kind of what i was starting to to talk about was like it seemed as though um so she was the first to join and that was like what made me understand that that was a thing and that there would be a change um in the in the dress in the was that maybe like 90 i would have been 90 98 or 99 late 98 yeah something like that yeah Yeah. and um and then by the way is a really long time ago but yeah 98 99 yeah but then uh, Bauman would have been the next one, and he and I were quite close. And it's so stupid. And so you do the, th- the well. I'm going to say it, my response is stupid. What I'm saying. Um, so you know they do the thing where they you, you apologize, you go mm-hmm. and make amends, and all these things. And his thing was much more. I think he apologized to my then girlfriend. Oh God, my ex-wife. That's so weird to think and say. That that maybe he made a pass at her at some point. <laughs> and and. Uh, his only thing to me uh, was more general, like kind of if I ever did anything, and I, I don't think he had. Uh, but I don't. I feel like maybe he even asked me. My memory of this was that it was like at the cabin, outside on a night when most people were inside. Like it was. I feel like we were taking turns going out onto the kind of deck type yep. area. Yeah, and, and that would have made and, sense. But I came out in these talks. 
probably came out at a night when he knew everybody would be there. I don't remember this specifically, but probably came out at a night when everybody would be there. So he knew he had a chance to like talk to as many people as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so to get back to that idea of people sowing their wild oats as well. Oh, so my, my stupid response, I was like, can we still talk about you too? <laughs> <laughs> of all the things. <laughs> I asked Mickey if we could still see the Star Wars movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, those wait, are the kind of, that happen. Yeah. sort of, I don't know. Yeah. Those were the, so, you know, the things over which we were bonding. So it made some sense of like, you know, what will be different now and not knowing. And, but, uh, <laughs> and he said no and i and, uh, because and i remember him saying something to the effect of it's not so much music itself or something he's like but my relationship to that music or how important i i sort of make it is 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 problematic or whatever for this um new path that i'm on um but so i i looked up this word uh, the rumspringa in the amish it maybe that is more intentional i'm not sure but I did notice this trend. So like it was Bauman or it was Heidi, then Bauman. And then maybe you were next Twinkie. Probably. Yeah. yeah. And not so much with you, but especially once it got around to um, who we'd call girl Bauman, <laughs> uh, there did seem to be a kind of a continuum or progression of being further and further away from at least sort of outwardly and maybe in some of the be behaviors or practices from the really traditional um plain dress and and customs and stuff to where like i meant to, to about so like for instance girl bauman was like dressing mostly in tie-dye and blah 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 and, and boy bauman had really long hair for you know it's like so so that when the change happened it seemed dramatic the, all the more dramatic the shift and you realize like oh and it's not that like I would have been like, well, they're out of control <laughs> at any of them at any time. It's just right. really in retrospect that I could see a sort of a pattern of like, oh, I'm going further and further away from the way that I grew up. And then the thing that that seemed like happened, like I think Bauman's about to go visit pumps in the in basic training. Um, my memory is probably wrong about you, Twinkie, but maybe that you took a cross country road yeah. trip and came back. Yep, that's uh, correct it felt like this sort of outside looking in judgmental thing of like, this sucks taking our friends away. This, the church, it, Oh man, this sounds terrible. It just, it felt like there was a mounting fear that just overwhelmed everything as opposed to it seeming like an inspiration. Of, it seemed like, Oh fuck, <laughs> I better stop everything I'm doing and, yeah. and correct course, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I could try to, uh, I, remember to address some of the things the first one i don't know that it's specifically like um taught kind of maybe like in some of the old order amish where you have this season in your life where you go out and do whatever you want to do i wouldn't say i would say it's not really encouraged in fact it leans a little more into what steiner mentioned about encouraging younger and younger and younger children to join the church so almost the opposite is taught I think what you are seeing, and this is not a 20-year-old Twinkie talking, this is 41-year-old Twinkie looking at it in retrospect, is when you don't equip people with tools to parse the world around them in logical and meaningful ways and react, but you only equip them to react in a way that points them back towards this the way they grew, they're going to 
experiment, what looks like to them or everybody else experiment with things without really understanding what any of that is. Um, and so there is going to be like, there's not going to be the conversation, for example, Hey, you are now old enough to have sex. Let's talk about what that is. Let's buy you some condoms. Let's talk about uh, alcoholism and why you shouldn't drink and drive. Let's none of those con in, in my, and, and not a criticism of my parents. They're a product of this. They bear responsibility to some degree. Sorry, mom and dad. But when you don't equip people, they're going to make poor decisions. And then when they make a series of poor decisions, what are they going to do? Right. They're going to turn back because it's the only thing they have. It's the only refuge. Palmer hinted at it a little bit in times of crisis, you're going to go to the comfort, right? You're going to yep. turn to the thing that makes you feel safe. And so in my instance, feeling scared and lonely, and obviously I, mean, I, I didn't murder anybody or anything, but you know, you, you, you feel guilty about the way you've treated people yeah. or, or um, especially someone now recognizing dealing with anxiety and depression, you, you wrestle with a lot of those things and no one's ever telling you like, Hey, go see a psychologist. Have you considered talk therapy? Yeah. Here are some ways that which you can help yourself. It's you need to have this life altering experience wherein you can confess all your sins and you can do all of these things and it'll change you. And then um, somehow you'll be able to handle these things better. Meanwhile, not equipping you at all. For any further stuff right. that's going to come down the line, <laughs> or at least in my experience, you know. But yeah, um, so it's, that, it's that's kind of where I, what I how my experience was. It's very much. I think we talked about it a little bit last time I was on the show, uh, whatever episode number that was a while back. But this idea that there's a path set out, and that you would follow that path, and drinking isn't on that path. Uh, having relationships with the opposite sex isn't on that path, you know, doing listening to music isn't on that path. So it's just never covered. And it's assumed that you would follow this path to behaving a certain way, eventually going through the conversion process, joining the church, then finding a partner, then having a family. And that's just the way things are. And everybody knows it. So there's no reason to talk about this other stuff. And, yeah. So it never comes up and it, I, I don't know if I would have recognized that pattern at the time. I certainly didn't recognize the pattern at the time and I have trouble seeing it now of people kind of boomeranging out and back. Um, probably because that wasn't part of how things were expected. And uh, there, there is no notion of Rumspringa, you know, like the Amish have, uh, it's not codified in any way or expected in any way. Um, I would even say it's not encouraged. That, it's not right. I don't even, maybe there are portions, pieces of the church, you know, a, a group who might view that as some sort of kind of experience you should have, but in general, I would say it's discouraged. Yes. It, it, it's discouraged and not talked about. And when people do kind of stray from the path, they're, they, they disappoint their folks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that must be an, an intense pressure in and of itself. I mean, I, I relate to a lot of what you were, we were saying 
Twinkie about tools and, and disappointing folk, all this stuff. I mean, I didn't experience it in the same strict context, but I still wrestle with a lot of the same stuff. And I can even remember yeah. being um, a teenager and really, really struggling with something. Like I was just kind of overwhelmed. Yeah, with, I guess, probably feelings of loneliness and anxiety. And I just remember this one night, I think it was like before the first day of a new year of high school. Not like my first day as a freshman or something, but I don't remember what year. And I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> I was just overwhelmed. <laughs> I couldn't sleep. And uh, I would definitely not go, for, go so far as to say it was a panic attack type situation. But I was just like, I don't know what to fucking do. I wish this could just, I could just shut the shit down. And so I did, a re, uh, like, I kind of like, well, what in, in that state, what, what felt like the thing I could run back to was, so I went to my parents who I knew were in the other room and I asked them to lay hands on me and pray with me. I couldn't tell you the ever, there was another time in my life where I did that, but I was like, that was something that in the context in which I grew up meant some sort of healing would happen. <laughs> and I was desperate. And, uh, and uh, I, one of the things I remember was like my dad wanting to know like more specifically what was bothering me. It's like, he, he's like, you don't tell me, I don't know what to pray for. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, also trying to do this little diagnosis there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. but I just, so I remember that in particular and uh, in terms of the religious context, but, but that whole thing about tools, I think, you know, the things that those type of so where for me it wasn't like i never got the sex talk or whatever but it, it was more i think the thing that was lacking for me in that part of my life that is that i'm still really trying to sort out in my adult life actively is like i was just not given and it wasn't like on purpose i just it just didn't so happen to work out that i were given tools to deal with conflict um of any kind um and and yeah, so those, so something simple like that with the conflict, I mean, is having really profound, uh, as because I'm really trying to work it out. Cause the other option is just to never make a concerted effort to be able to handle that and to live in a different space. And, uh, I, I don't know if I want to get too much more specific than that, yeah. <laughs> because, but it is important to me to like be able to sort that shit out and to not live my life handicapped in that way or then and 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 have my that show up in my relationship but that shift it's it's taking me a few years i'm probably going to take me a few more and so i can so when i hear about some of this stuff where it's like these things coming about at such a young age i never considered this idea of like you weren't given any other means of tools or idea that things could go any other way I mean, than to without, follow the path. Without putting like too fine a point on it, in essence, at least from my experiences, it's a, kind of the easy way out now looking back on it where it's like, well, I didn't know what to do. And so I'm feeling really shitty about myself. Well, this is the thing I can do to make me feel less shitty about myself. And bonus, like I go to heaven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Could part of it be that they that maybe if they taught tools, it might keep you away longer, right? Like, uh, 100%. if that's your only option, like if that's your only option to feel better, 
why not just do that one? Right. Well, I, when, like when you actively discourage post-secondary education or at least factions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, factions and, of the church adamantly oppose post-secondary education. I, I don't know what other conclusion to come to because even now, like it's easy. I have to challenge myself not to take the quote unquote easy way out. Not that I'm going back to, to church, but like really challenging myself to address things and handle things and approach yeah. things positively and um, head on kind of as Dave shared with that. But I don't know, Steiner, do you, you, you mentioned kind of the path thing, but you obviously didn't necessarily take those steps or maybe you just didn't feel as shitty about yourself as I did. I don't know, <laughs> but like what, 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 kind of, how did you navigate that odd period between like, well, we're really expecting you now you're in high school slash out of high school to early college. We're expecting you to be like joining the church now. And then once you're through that initial, like, I don't know, five, six year window, then you're kind of like old news and they move on to the next group of people who should be repenting now because they're in the prime window for it. Yeah. So I think there's a couple, several things that play into that, uh, that come to mind. Uh, one was I had decided relatively early or came to the realization relatively early that all that's bullshit and I don't care about it. Uh, I remember distinctly in sitting in Sunday school class, probably around sixth grade thinking, wow, this Bible story they're sharing sounds a lot like that Bullfinch's mythology book I just read about <laughs> uh, Greek and uh, Norse mythology. And wow, I don't have to care about this anymore. Um, so that certainly played a part where from, you know, from middle school, I was like, yeah, no, it, that doesn't matter. I don't care. Um, but the part about the life pathing certainly still played in, into, into it. Um, I guess another factor was that relatively speaking, my family was not strict or as involved or even I'm not sure what the right word would be, but weren't as in as, as Twinkie's family and certainly for other families. Um, so for context, my mother was not from the church. My father was from the church, but not a member of the church. Uh, and that similar dynamic happened at his father, uh, where my grandfather was not a member until very late in life, until after he was 80. Uh, and my grandmother was from outside the church, uh, so but was a member. My mother was from outside the church, but became a member and has since left anyways. Uh, Did they marry prior to her joining the church? Yes. Yeah. Um, that's what I thought. So that's why we had TV. That's why we did things differently. That's why uh, a lot of things happened was that our connection or involvement or whatever the term is was not as strong or as uh, resilient as it might be in other situations or and certainly the familial and social pressure was less for church-based things i think that that part is clear um what however we got to that position the the pressure on me was certainly less than others felt for sure uh Another piece is that I was certainly on the college track from the beginning. There was no question about that. So that piece of the path was already in place. Uh, 
And then somehow I jumped from, if we describe the path as high school conversion, marriage, family, uh, I jumped from high school, marriage, college, uh, and kind of went down a, a similar path where it's like, no, you still have to get married right away. Um, I just kind of left out the church part. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I guess that that would be the the summary is I still followed the path reasonably just minus the church part. When you made that connection though, and you're like, I don't need to care about this anymore. Was that, did it feel like you, you were somehow then sort of freed from a path that you didn't want to take or you were just like, eh, and <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or, or, Still like subjecting yourself to this hellish. <laughs> yeah. Did, it, did you feel, because at some point, like we're going to go through a, you know, Twinkie sort of repentance story and, and, and then the sort of reverse of that. And your experience here doesn't seem to have the same arc but in a way like that moment is a kind what? of turning point, but I just wonder what it felt his, like and even how you contextualize it. Now. His arc was like a 35 minute Sunday school class, which I am very <laughs> jealous of. Yeah. <laughs> I figured it all out. Right. Like Half I remember maybe a year before that you having a, you know, what, 10 years old, having a childish, like, Oh man, I think I need to start praying about stuff. I need to, I don't know, maybe I, could, I can't remember the context at all, but I remember having this moment where like, oh, I need to be a good boy and maybe pray and do this stuff like I'm supposed to. And maybe I'll, I don't know, God will give me a spaceship or whatever I wanted at <laughs> 10 years old. Um, and then by, you know, a few, a year or two or three later, whatever the timing was having that realization from having read these other stuff and uh, coming to that conclusion. The effect in the end, I think was, I just ended up sitting in church for no reason for however many years and going like, all right, I'm just biding my time, whatever. Maybe I'll pay attention. Probably I won't, uh, you know, just, I have to be here. Cause I'm just like, I have to go to school. I have to go to church on Sunday mornings. Mm. Uh, but you know, at least there's donuts. <laughs> um at least i see people you know i have friends there and then in high school it was way better because we ditched the place at noon and go back and destroy twinkie's uh snack cabinet much to his mother's chagrin um and play games and hang out with the guys which was always cool but uh i don't there wasn't necessarily a weight there wasn't uh i think partially because the expectations weren't there you know, that, that uh, familial and social pressure was much less. Uh, so it was just kind of not something I considered. Now, none of that really became organized or more formal in my head until college uh, when I really delved into uh, some philosophy stuff and some courses and really developed a a position on the matter, I guess, you know, organize my oh. thoughts. But um, I, I guess that also contributes to the idea that it, it wasn't a big deal for me at the time. Nice. Thanks. Any particular philosophers you want to shout out that help you? Kind of 
to my homies. Oh, it's, it's been a while since those classes. Uh, David Hume was always one of my, uh, one of my particular favorites. Nice. For better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> Were you still in the church orbit? Like when did you stop attending services? As soon as I could. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like at 18 when you graduated uh, or, or sooner? Uh, basically, I, I think my parents still wanted me to go. They were still attending. My mom was still a member at the time. But basically from when I started college, so uh, fall of 99, I think, around there. And certainly after 2000, I only attended sporadically. Um, however, my ex-wife, also odd to say, Dave, uh, dabbled, uh, started the conversion process, uh, uh, but that was short-lived and did not finish. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, I, I didn't, uh, didn't continue any connections, even though extended family uh, st still participates. Uh, my mom who was a member, um, got out, I want to say something like 15 years ago now, sometime after Twinkie, but it's been a while now since she's been out. So yeah, it was, I think involvement it was really went down relatively soon after I left, but I can't really remember. hundred yeah. I feel like, was there a, was there a, no, I wouldn't say mass exodus, but there was an exodus like around the time that Steiner, your mom left the church, Twinkie, you left the church. Like there was a hemorrhage of members uh, across those years. What if I am remembering right? Right. There, there was a handful. I mean, I worked with a couple at uh, the place I was working at the time when I left the apostolic church, people who had left yeah. and then had some contact initially after I left with some people who, kind of reached out to me, like, you know, just like, yeah. Hey, I'm doing what you did. And I have no idea what I'm doing. And I said, welcome to the club. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Cause I have no fucking idea either. Uh, but uh, do, do you think though, that that might have been some of those signs of it, the split that was coming that you guys touched on in the last, last half hour of that interview with Dr. Anderson? Uh, do you, think that it's not I, I i'm sure that the reasons behind which we'll get to of you leaving were not in they were was not a foundation of where the where the blood of christ stops covering your sins i'm sure that that dilemma is not what led you to leave the church but i feel like if if such a foundational question of your faith leads to a schism at four years before or eight years before you're leaving, there has to be signs of that leading up to that. It's not going to. Well, I'd and like to I, believe I, that I, I started it, Palmer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Schism yeah. starts right yeah. here. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It was, me. Uh, it, it was me. It was me. That's awesome. Uh, no, <laughs> but you, you do see hints of it. Um, it's something I wish I could have talked to Dr. Anderson about a little bit more. Um, and I definitely wasn't joking with him then. It doesn't obviously have to be in the context of this podcast, but having more conversations with him. But um, to some degree, Palmer, it, it's more, it has to do with what you talked about with this 
kind of Calvinistic approach of like Christ's blood covers sin, like stop, just stop. And other people being like, no, actually it doesn't, you, you know, you can actually be a, be a baptized Christian and then sin so much that you're no longer going to heaven. Um, and so when you're someone who like struggles with their own self-value and self-worth and um, like constantly see your mistakes and failures, it wears you down. And you're like, well, am I, what am I, am I really, did I really change? Am I really, uh, am I really saved? Like, am I, I, what some people are telling me like, no, but if you keep lying and cheating and even though it's probably not purposeful or you're, you treat people poorly, or you don't love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, strength and might, and your neighbor as yourself. If you don't practice those things and you aren't that person, there's a chance you're no longer, you know, covered by the blood of Christ. And so those are like cracks, right? You said, and they like lead into this. And then you're like, well, I'm not perfect. I'm not good. What am I doing at a place where everybody around here feel seems to be perfect? They don't say sin. They say things like, our shortcomings, our failures. Right. Um, yeah. Um, that's where, a much better word than sin. Where like. we may, where we may have wronged someone where we yeah. haven't, where we haven't followed the direction of Christ as we should. Right. They're just saying sin. Um, at yeah. least as in the general Protestant idea, uh, 10 commandments uh, type of stuff. They're just using all this other, embedded language, right? These code apostolic code words. And so whenever that happens, you're going to do more research, right? Whenever you're feeling like I'm not really getting what I need to be getting here. And then you're like, oh, but you know, this makes a little more sense over here. You do a little more research, do a little more research. Um, and uh, I started my repentance and I, I acknowledge the positivity in the interview about this idea of what Dave talked about in the sense that you make restitution or apologizing to people or having these conversations. And I still see the benefit in those things today. Yeah. That um, kind of accountability I yeah. think is one is great. And, and you know, you see that in 12 step programs. I mean, that's hard to argue with the, and, the, it, and, and it is a skill like that is a life skill that you learned. I think and, it's like the uh, one life skill that I got out of all this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I always say uh, all the time that my self, a lot of my self-reflection, probably some of what you're talking about, where you're just like constantly running through this cycle of like all these mistakes, perceived mistakes that you make. But I learned that skill through teaching during my time as a teacher, because you are just constantly forced to justify and reflect on what you did in that. For those 20 minutes, you'll spend for the 20 minutes that you spend teaching a kid a lesson, you'll spend two to five hours talking to other people why you did what you did. And you have to like, you have to exercise that muscle of self-reflection. And I got that from teaching and it's just, it's weird where we get those skills from, but if yeah. that's a skill you took from that experience, then it has to be valuable. Right. The, right. So yeah, I mean, um, and it took me almost two years to go through that process because of thoroughness. Uh, probably a certain uh, OCD I, I, is not the right word, but just almost like this obsession with wanting to make get it right, you know, because you do, right? Like you want to, 
you've committed to this thing. You've, um, you do understand the positive aspects of like having these good relationships. It's referred to as having peace with people. Um, but you know, it is, there's something to be said for being able to look someone in the eye and shake their hand and give them a big old smooch. Um, yeah, uh, no, but there is something to be said for that in all of our relationships, right? right? To be able to look people in the eye and say, we're good. Yep. Right. And now there was probably some unhealthy ways about how that was handled. We've, you know, where, where there's almost this, I don't know, but the, you know, conflict resolution is exactly encouraged in any of these instances, more just like ask for forgiveness and move on type of thing, which maybe isn't the healthiest. Right. But anyway, generally speaking, that's a positive thing I would say. And, um, you are, you're good with people. And so there is like this almost cycle of like, you go talk to people, you get that relief and you're like, Oh, I think I tackled it. Well, now there's, now you're like, Oh, but what about all of these things? Right. And then it's almost embarrassing in hindsight to look back at all of the little things going to high school teachers. I think I brought up in the podcast and be like apologizing for how I acted in class. Right. Where they were like, like, are you fucking kidding me? You're like a 15 right. year old. Of course you're a jackass. Like right, right. <laughs> everybody was a jackass. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. But, and so it like levels just down into nothing. And finally they had to be like, Hey dude, like, well, they didn't say, Hey dude, but <laughs> I just watched big Lebowski. So oh, hey, nice. man, like that's I almost a- wore my Walter shirt. <laughs> So like, hey man, like some new facts have come to light here, and like, there's things I gotta. I've got the uh, new shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Did it? I um, I imagine when you decided to leave the church, did it feel like when you joined the church, but in reverse, where you had to I, go around then? So and I'm like, gonna, I want to get there because I'm actually yeah. as embarrassed I am about the joining. I'm really proud of the exit. Oh, um, I like that. I mean, like yeah. in a good, like not not in like ironic, yeah. like mic drop way, but I handled it surprisingly well. Um, which awesome. boggles my mind that I actually did it that way, um, because that's, it's usually not the case. I'm very proud of that. If there's any former apostolics listening to me, motherfuckers, I did it right. Um, yeah, that's so, I, I'm I'm really anxious to get there, but I would really appreciate a, a small like ten minute break. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll grab my adult beverage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, see you guys in a minute. Dark clouds cut through the sky And the night starts to bleed into day You're off down a one-way road And all the signs say Jesus saves Where you come from is gone You can't go back The train is taking off It's tearing up the track You tried to move on But it held you back You cannot be denied It's the blood that's why From what you don't believe Rant and raving that you are not claim With a sharp 
dark tongue through jagged teeth Shouting you reckon that you've been redeemed With terror in his throat and the devil in his eyes He's preaching the church of Jesus Christ without Christ Tried to move on with the blood inside A martyr lying for the truth A soldier dying in a preacher's suit His barbed wire heart breaking before your eyes He's paying the price For having blood that's wise He's haunted by a man from limb to limb In the forest of his mind He can no longer pretend There's no end in sight No bottom to his eyes He's walking on rocks Toward a pinprick of light Bleeding blood, that's why It's the blood that's why found the beverage all right oh, this nice. is the pineapple mango vodka soda in a can wow well that sounds delicious i know pineapple vodka soda in a can yeah yeah <laughs> how did you decide to even try that let alone have it be your go-to um well it's one of those things where i'm like i think holly would like this she didn't uh, like it but i uh, liked it interesting so, worked out in the end yeah those well, are the not, best gifts to get people. Yeah. <laughs> if you hate it, I'll, I love it. So, and just so I could uh, take a little of my, my own <laughs> judgy medicine, <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to drink this Guinness Extra Stout, which when I became 21 and realized like, oh, I can drink now. I was like, what would I want to drink? I was like, well, Guinness seems cool. <laughs> so, so to me, that's still what beer tastes like, but it really is just based on you know, wanting to be kind of cool. So that's why I guess if I drink this heavy, dark, 
you know, oh, romantic I, sounding Irish yeah. stout. <laughs> it's uh, incumbent upon me to shit yeah. on your seltzer there or whatever it was. So I'm, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I'm 41 years old. Like those times of being cool are long past. I've given up on any of that sort of thing. So uh, I'm desperately clinging. So <laughs> 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 what's everybody else got? See, I have this storied oh. bottle of tequila. Oh, nice. Ooh, nice. Uh, which normally I would not drink, but I needed something to sip on. And I've been whittling down my liquor cabinet. Like I haven't been drinking much at all in quarantine. So it's just, well, this is the next bottle that's up. Let's get rid of that one. So, yeah. All right. And you said you're not IPA, have, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cap. Uh, it's a Voodoo Ranger variety, oh, yeah. uh, Captain Dynamite. They, ha- they did a... Um, I think it was called Star Killer or something like that. The one they did last summer, it was just awesome. And the, the can was very similar to this, so I was hoping it was along the same lines, but it's not. It's a, uh, it's actually a lot more subtle of an IPA than uh, they usually are. So, but it's still like seven seven. I'm gonna, I, uh, I, if I stop talking, it's because I'm afraid of what I'm gonna say. So. Oh. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, let's on yeah, let's on three, huh? And three. Awesome. Good. Yeah. I like this idea of starting in the middle. That way, it's not at the, everything at the beginning isn't uh... <laughs> all loopy. Yeah. Yeah. Or the middle isn't. I don't know. Yeah. So nice change. The only thing is I don't have an out for the outrageous things I just said. So yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't think you said anything no, outrageous at all. All right. There's more Cheers. to come. Here's the long walk. Cheers. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Before we dive in, I am hoping to make a post COVID trip in December back to oh, really? Ohio. So I, um, I've been vaccinated for a little bit. Holly has her first shot on Wednesday. And so hopefully all of everybody will have an opportunity, um, in the next six months, if things go as planned and maybe be able to venture away from my house and my place of business (laughs) would be kind of nice. I think. Oh, man. That would be fantastic. Yeah. I just want to hang out with somebody other than my wife. As awesome (laughs) as she is like. I think my we wife feels that, that way about the, yeah. <laughs> I think my wife wants me to hang out with anyone other than her. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, uh, oh, my poor kids. Oh God. She did. Uh, the bride did find, uh, cause they just opened up Minnesota here maybe like five days ago or something like that to, to they all at once they opened it to like ages 16 and just fucking everybody. It seems. So it's been yeah. difficult. And a lot of stories of like people lying. The big thing is like to to claim some sort of um, special case to get the appointment. When by the time you have the appointment, you know you you it doesn't yeah. matter because you'll will be eligible then. But anyway, right. so she's been really diligent and found us something like an hour and a half away on Tuesday. We'll get our first nice. Pfizer, which is good. Let's get some Ash lunch. We'll get our our second one on Tuesday. So. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I'll get my second on the uh, 19th. Oh, excellent. Fantastic. Great to hear it. This was Uh, a good year to officially become old because I was able to jump the line uh, a week ahead of the the rest of the youngest. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Because you fell into the 
I, yeah. I advanced an age bracket this year. Uh, yeah. So perhaps the only benefit was uh, yeah. <laughs> one week. They of do people. feel the benefits do feel less and less for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. No shit. Oh man. Uh, uh, It'll be nice yeah. to have that and hopefully see things get back to some semblance yeah. of normal. Although yeah, if I have anything to say about it, it won't get all the way back to normal. There's some yeah. nice things. About uh, this. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, I am kind of enamored with teleworking a little bit and uh, I don't know. We're really excited though to like, just do a couple things that we have. Like I haven't seen it. I didn't see mo- movies. Like the last movie I saw in the theater was at when Ash and I went to see uh, Rise of the Skywalker in late December. Oh yeah, um, 2019. So I did. I literally went all of 2020 without going to the theater. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited to go to a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I just um, saw. So we have a local theater chain called Harkins which is like Texas, Colorado, Arizona, whatever. $99, you can run an entire theater, and they have Mad Max Fury Road. I'm not going to lie. I was going to be like, hey, Holly. Um, oh, that's a great – it's just your birthday and everything. It's just, Make it yeah, happen. exactly. I just exactly. want to go – I just want to go sit in a theater by myself and watch Fury Road on the big screen again. But it's really hard to be like, I'm going to go spend $120 on a. <laughs> oh my God. I think, I think that is totally <laughs> worth it, in my opinion. Like, well, that's why you guys need to movie. be here so that I can then yeah. justify it. <laughs> yeah, we, now, I got five yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought the limit um, was 250. They, as long as yeah. it's under 250, you're, gold, you're good, that's right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do they have. Uh, mm. <laughs> do they. The, do they have a, a concession requirement for that? No. Some of them are doing it. Right. Alamo oh, that's did. Awesome. Alamo yeah. had a concession requirement where you'd pay like 200 bucks or whatever it was, but then you had to spend almost an equal amount in concessions. Yeah. It, it, it like but doubles, this was just like, like, it's obviously only at specific times in probably like their smaller, like whatever theaters, but you know, they're just struggling to so make many, ends meet. So The other ones here, there was only so many movies that you could see like that. Like you couldn't, no, yeah, there's, there's no first run. Yeah. New, yeah, yeah, for their like current. But yeah, that was the other thing too is like, what the hell is coming out right now? Like, no, it, they're still like really sitting back on what they're releasing. So. Yeah. Um. So I, I, I'll just c- continue if that's okay, which is kind of where yeah, I was yeah, in the process, yeah, I, and then you can keep jumping in and bouncing back and forth to Steiner and whatever sounds good. Yeah. No. That 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 sounds great. Okay. Um. Yeah. So if you go ahead, go ahead. If you had a starting point, I I had a question starting point. If uh, yeah, go for it. I'm I'm just curious. Like, is that truly where you're? Like, so you're you're struggling with? Am I really a different person? Can't. um, But is is part of that foundation where your initial leaning towards maybe this was not the choice for you? Did it have to come down to that? To the did the blood of Christ uh, absolve you from all sin? Or um, I'm I'm curious on where the foundation was. Was it was it systemic? Did you have issues with the way the church was structured once you kind of saw like quote unquote how the sausage was made? Or um, 
was it more philosophical and spiritual um, that it was just getting, you know, what, what was the, if you were to look back on it, what would be the original foundations on when things started to move towards you leaving the church? Yeah. So I think that kind of goes towards a little bit why you joined or why I joined. They're very much obviously interconnected, right? You don't get, you don't, well, obviously you don't leave if you don't join, but also you don't leave if the joining isn't um, troublesome or, or not solid or it's like anything. It's like joining anything really. If you, if you uh, join the, the, uh, the tea party, right. And you join for one reason. And then all of a sudden you find out all the other things about, it, and you're like, well, I don't know. So I necessarily agree with all of these things. Then you leave or, or whatever, you know, it, any sort of organization like that. Um, this is just a little more intense because um, the leaving can be very traumatic. Whereas you can right. quit the democratic party anytime you want and nobody gives a fuck. So um, uh, the, the imp or the, the, joining was yeah i had left on a road trip i came out to wyoming to visit two friends and then i came down to colorado ironically uh to red rocks to see a willie nelson concert um which by the way was great and unfortunately the rest of the story shines like this negative line on it but really enjoyed it it was my first real exposure to so many people smoking weed Mm -hmm. um but fantastic um and really glad I did it. But on the way home, I think just, you know, in hindsight, it's a combination, honestly, of just being tired, but also this anxiety and stress just kind of building up about you're at this time of your life where things are in flux, right? You're in college and I'm going to school to be a teacher, but I probably am starting to realize I don't really want to be a teacher, but it's like, as Steiner has referred to this expected pathing, path thing, right? Hey, these are kind of the acceptable jobs you can have an engineer, an accountant, a teacher. Uh, you know, my heart wanted to be, I wanted to be in radio. Like, I, I remember be, that. I wanted it to be like, and everybody like, oh, it doesn't pay well, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and of course you work Sundays. How could you work on the Lord's day? And obviously you'd be supporting all these demonic uh, and satanic things like rock and roll. Um, or, or, or rap. Oh my God. Or, or baseball. Or, or yeah. Or yeah. <laughs> I mean, dare we even mention things like organized sports? Um, but you know, so you're, you're, you're kind of push these paths and it's not, you don't necessarily choose them. You're, they're subconscious, right? You want to please the people, at least I do. I'm a people pleaser. So you want to please the people around you. You want them to be happy with you, even though I'm not a member of the church. And so, you know, as it goes, you know, you're just in this place, probably of discontentedness and uh, loneliness, as you mentioned, not a lot of dating going on. Um, but even just in friendships, maybe just not as close because, right, you all these friendships in high school and still some carry over, but there's just not that closeness that you got to experience all the time. So you're, you're in these, this life in flux stage. Um, and I think just combined with uh you know, all those things just coming together. I, I can't really point towards a specific like um, moment or anything like that. But I will say that it, maybe not at the time, but in hindsight, it's certainly fear-based, right? Dave alluded to it. 
you're not making a decision for something as much as you're making it against something else. Um, I, I don't want to be separated from God. I don't want to go to hell. What do I need to do? Right. And so now you're making a decision, not on, well, what are the, what are the uh, philosophical bases of the apostolic Christian church? Do I agree with the tenets uh, of uh, conversion, repentance, conversion, and living an overcoming life, um, a holiness life, like Dr. Anderson said. And so you're basing it out of fear. So to Palmer's point, it's a little bit of as you join. It took me almost two years to go through the repentance process all the time, you know, digging deeper and deeper into myself. And then finally, like getting confronted, that, that's a strong word, but like, like, what do you, like, are you there yet? Like, what are you doing? Being like, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever be there. Like, I keep finding things that I want to talk to people about, you know, I want to get it right. And then finally saying like, no, I think you're good. Was that family or was that uh, arms of the church? That was uh, the elder at the time who is referenced both in the document that Dr. Anderson has presented um, and something we talked about specifically, the elder who was a bit silenced by the national body prior to the schism, um, who, who, who was my counseling elder at the time, right? So real quickly, the elder is the person who leads the church, who shepherds the converts, you would meet with him initially. So I met him and it was like, I masturbated. Um, I did other terrible things like lie. I blah, blah, blah. Like you confess all your initial sins to this person. Right. Um, and then they're the ones that guide you, if you will. And well, they go over scriptures with you about things you should and shouldn't be doing. Don't have fashionable haircuts. And, you know, I mentioned that as well, but like, they're the ones that lead this. So you have meetings with him occasionally. There's no set like every three weeks you meet with him. Maybe there is now, I don't know, but at, at my time, very informal, um, you would either set it up like, Hey, can I come over? I want to talk about this, or I'm feeling this way, but finally getting invited. And then, and then you know, this person saying, you know, like, enough is enough. I'm tired of you. <laughs> like, let's just be done with this. <laughs> I mean, not really, but it kind of in hindsight seemed a little like, okay, like you're, you're taking this too far. Like, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, and so that happened like a year and a half. I, Cause I, uh, you guys probably have tell me the timelines. I think I started in the summer of 2000. Is that right? I was going yeah, over this in embarrassing, right. embarrassing. I can't remember. Now I know I left in the summer of 2004, um, right, uh, like August of 2004. Um, so that, that was kind of that initial part there um, of that joining. And then, as Palmer points out, as you go, you start to see the factions a little bit more that are the people who are a little more casual, who do believe like, listen, you know, we, we, we think you should do your best, but like, come on. What is the, um, the, I'm completely sort of ignorant of the ins and outs of that. So can you say what the, like, what's the first step you take? And then like, what are sort of the traditional timeline and steps that, that sort of happen leading up to baptism? Like, so you, you, you go to that, you, you come back from that trip and you've made this choice. No, no lightning bolt strikes a, you know, um, a billboard or anything, but right. you're resolved. And what's the first yeah. thing that happens? Yeah. So I think I'd talked to my mother, like, Hey, I want to go talk to and you can bleep whatever you want to bleep out of this. I want to, I was going to use names, uh, but 
I'm going to go talk to uh, Henry, who is the name of the person at the time, the elder at the time, who changes about partway through this. But his name is Henry. And I don't remember if she calls or I call or whatever, but um, very wonderful human being. And we're going to talk about this at the end, this very clear distinction between this body and these principles and this religious tradition being a steaming pile of shit. And the people, um, can be very decent, um, kind, uh, caring, loving people who, when faced with dogma, turn into raving lunatics. Um, and it's taken a really long time to get there and I still have a long way to go on it. But uh, Henry, just a really gracious man, um, fell asleep about 20 minutes, 20 minutes into my confession because this man is, and I don't know, I'm not saying exactly right, probably in his mid-70s, early yeah, 70s. He was, a, he was the elder statesman. He was a, the patriarch. He was you know, a silver-haired older yeah. gentleman who had been in the position for... A while, like since, since we were before we were born or around then. Yeah. Farmer. Right. So does, this isn't like his full time. He's not a full time preacher. So he's, Mm. this is a, this is like the side gig, right? It's super serious. He's the elder. He's responsible for administering this church of a thousand plus people, uh, six to 700 members, five to 700 members. I'm ballparking. Um, but it's his side gig, right? He's a full-time, like, I'm not going to say factory farm. I, I hesitate to do that, but like big farm, big dairy farm, multiple sons who are in their, you know, thirties and forties helping him run this farm. So big operation. And he's meeting with people on in his evenings. Right. And he falls asleep like 20 minutes in, which was fine. I mean, that's not a judgment call as much as it's relief. Cause you can just keep talking and then because, and, you know, because they don't care. Right. They're not, he's not taking notes. This is for me. This isn't for him. This is for me to unburden my soul, right? To, 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 to throw my sin out and start this healing process. You know, it's the, it's the, uh, uh, the boil that you pop, right? And the, the pus comes out, right? You're starting the healing process. He's not, he doesn't really care about any of the stuff that I'm talking about. Now, turns out if there's things that you break the law on, right, they have to do uh. stuff about. I mean, I mean, it, because there are people who've come to them with things like sexual abuse or things like that, that have to be, you don't, you don't just get to say, well, thank you for telling me and sayonara. Like, no, you gotta, you gotta deal with it. But I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any stories in, you know, my, my stuff is just minor kid things and no felonies, um, no felonies, yeah. not at murder anybody or, or, yeah. uh, Lots of masturbation. <laughs> you don't have to detail Man. every time, right? Just a general yeah, every time. Blanketed. So there was this one time. <laughs> <Okay. where laughs> so July 7th, yeah. 1992. Uh, at 10 a.m. Like, July 7th at 4 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> I'm realizing why, why and when he might have fallen asleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where did oh, this like, take place? No. Is this something like you had? So, so not like a, it's not like a Catholic confession where he doesn't. You're not 
So he just like in his home, like, like in his kind of little within home a day office. of making the call or two days, or is it like we're booked relatively out? quick? Okay. Yeah, I might have even been like that night. I don't, I don't remember wow. specifically. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But it's like strike while the iron is hot, right? Mm-hmm. Feeling yeah. this, this fear and guilt. We want to get him while he's feeling this way. That's not their thought process. But yeah, one, if one was so. skeptical, yeah. <laughs> if one was skeptical, one could say, "Hey, this person is feeling uh, is in a very tender place. Maybe we should work walk them through this and make sure they're really comfortable yeah. making this decision." Right, but but this is something they take very seriously, and it's you know it's an expectation of the elder to be available and be on top of this when right. somebody wants to come forward. You know that's in a way, one of his main jobs is to perform this task. Wow. Yeah, is that, it, that's absolutely is it true. Is it true that you also have to give like a like Cliff Notes version of this confession to the entire congregation as well as part of so, the process? No. So I think where that may come from, there's no like, there's no specific talk of that, but once, once we'll, and, and Dave, I can come back and answer any other questions you have about like, I don't want to jump too far ahead of where we were, but to for Palmer's oh, yeah, point, sorry. no, 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 no. I, I get it that it's for some of these things can be kind of interchangeable. So once I got to the part where they're like, no, it's been two years, like enough is enough. You get, an, they, they announced to the congregation that this convert, me, Ryan Winkler has found peace is usually the phrasing again, okay. 20 year old phrasing. I don't know what they say now, but has found peace with God and man and is ready for, and is a candidate for baptism, right? And then they'll say, if you feel that Ryan has overlooked something or is not whatever, we encourage you to talk to him. And that gives the people in the congregation a window of time to talk to you. And then it's probably, I don't know, Steiner, four to six weeks. I don't remember what mine was even, eight to uh, a period of months. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. A week, weeks to month ish. And then they set, you know, because it was scheduling and whatever. They set a time frame, and uh, usually there's also just the logistics that they usually want to baptize you with a couple people, so they don't have these things, you know, every other Sunday right. because there's a meal involved, and you know, there's logistics with travel and blah blah blah. So they're trying to consolidate things a little. Yeah, bit. unlike other churches, like maybe Dave, your experience, like there's no altar call, there's no. Hey, we baptize and sprinkle water on somebody every week. It's a very formal, scheduled process. Right. Yeah. yeah that's a really good point, yeah. Steiner, as far as like maybe mainstream Protestant Protestantism or Baptists would have that sort of weekly call to baptism. Um, and so to Palmer's point, the night before you're baptized, so Saturday night before you're baptized, you have this time where only members are invited and then they do this, what they, I don't know if they call it either, even kind of getting away from this word, even when I was doing it because of some of the negative connotations. But when I grew up, it was called approving. Um, and, and I think the, I, the, 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 the negative connotation of it was sounded like there was going to be this intense interview and what Palmer was talking about, where I'd get up there and be like on July 7th at 10 a.m. Yeah. 
July 7th at 4 p.m. And like four hours later, you know, we're getting to... We're two years in your case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're on July 10th. Yeah. yeah. We're getting close to yeah. August. Um, but no, 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 no specific things. Now that people may bring that up in context of the conversation or may want to bring up, maybe recognize some sort of like community level issue or something where they yeah. wanted to address it. But there's no expectation that... I would get up there and talk about, you know, my specific sins. Um, yeah. But you do have an interview about this almost to some degree. Where you we're before. like, you're, you're drilled by all the members. They so, can ask well, you so what happens anything is, they want or. So what happens in this case is um, I think I had two other people that I was being baptized with. Yeah. Two other people. Same about Tara. Tara. Man, she was really cute. Uh, anyway, Ooh. so <laughs> you weren't called. Now this just makes me mad. I, this is the whole thing I thought like was part of the deal. This is like some real shitty stuff I'm about to say. But like I remember when you joined, you have to. Leave yeah, I know. <laughs> it felt like my sort of. I may have to cut this in case because <laughs> it, it seemed like it seemed like he was just looking at. At like catalogs out of Illinois or whatever to pick a wife. It just seemed like I'm lonely. I'm going to join a church and pick a wife. Yeah, no, that's definitely <laughs> part of it to some degree. Um, and we could talk about that more later, but I definitely okay. did not yeah. feel that way, um, which is another thing I'm proud of, by the way. But but to this, I just think about Tara, delightful, I'm sure still wonderful human, going back to the fact that there are wonderful people in this really shitty formula of a religion. Anyway, shout out to Tara. We're going to get Joanna and Tara to listen to yeah. this thing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and not my wife. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so I get you get interviewed, but it's by the elder. So usually the format is everybody's in there. They're singing like some hymns, blah, blah, blah. There's a prayer. And then you walk in, right? Which is somewhat intense because there's... 500, I don't know, not that many, 400 people. It's a huge auditorium that you saw behind Steiner when we first got in on the Zoom call. Like, it's really big. And you've been there, I guess. Sorry, I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah. Actually, I went to Bauman's, and so that's the oh, memory right. I have. I don't know why I didn't go to yours. Uh, I'm sorry about that, or maybe not. I don't know. No, but, uh, that's fine. I, well, had you <laughs> already moved, moved down south at that point? Maybe. Oh, I think no, well, I think the summer of 2000 was uh, the summer of Steve, so I, I was trying desperately oh, to make yeah. Steve happen. <laughs> Uh, while you were, going I think this. I went to Bauman's and uh, Lady Bauman and Twinkies. I think those were the th maybe Heidi's too. Maybe, uh, yeah, my so. memory. Oh, maybe I went to Heidi. I don't know. I, my memory, though, the thing I remember most about the being at the baptism was the shock of the separation of the sexes mm. on either side of the kind of aisle of the pew or the, the aisle in the middle, and then this sets of pews on either side. and the din of crying children was <laughs> yeah. really disturbing. Um, and, and I'm sort of glad that that was brought up in Dr. Anderson's article about how they keep the kids there and they kind of let them do whatever they want for some reason. So I was used to, at that point, like the, the Methodist church I was going to, like they would have, you know, they would have like um daycare essentially just like down the hall from the sanctuary. And, uh, that was just like part of the experience. But, uh, but so it was really struck by that because it was such a, I was going to say traumatic for us, which was just not the way to look at it, I guess. But it was such a strange experience. 
And it was a sad occasion because we did know at this point that this would be, yeah, this whole death thing of the friend that you knew. and with the. But so to have the soundtrack of that just be the wailing of children. Or, yeah. or I should, not wailing. It was more yeah. like a din. No, it, it can unsettling. be wailing for sure. But so, so you're so you, walking yeah. into this like room. Yeah, now this is usually, usually, dens, this but, usually just adults yeah. at this point. There's probably not children in this case. Oh, yeah, um, so there's yeah. there's special events within the church where it's members only, and approving is one yeah. of them. Uh, communion is treated this way, and some other items where it's not open to the public or even to family members or other attendees of the church. It's yeah. literally Ooh. for members only. Right, they have jackets. I, yeah, they do have jackets. Oh, you beat me to that one. That was good. What? I mean, like, <laughs> there are no, <laughs> there are occasionally like. Uh, exceptions to this where like if there is a certain person who would be getting baptized and their spouse wasn't a member you know they would still let them come in let them they would probably encourage it i guess um uh but but for the most part yeah it's members only so it's actually really quiet and almost eerie when you walk in because as you're walking in everybody's praying right then like silent prayer and so it's like um it is very intimidating. So you're walking all the way up to the front row and it feels like about a thousand rows, you know, that you're walking up. Um, and then you sit down and I don't, I had, my dad must've been sitting next to me or some, you know, they, they, they want someone, you know, they don't want you just up there by yourself. They do allow some level of like comfort for you because you're not used to public speaking for sure. Um, and then usually there's guest or at least elder from like local community apostolic churches. Cause there's a couple relatively close within an hour drive or so. And so they'll be there and it's just the elders. There'll be three or four up there. And then one of them will usually kind of lead this initial walking through of like your process. And the intent is for the congregation to feel comfortable that you've experienced this true conversion experience and that you are indeed someone who has repented of your sin, uh, have been, uh, have become a converted person and, are living an overcoming and holy life. And they call it yeah. proving because initially you would have to prove that it, it, this was something that you wanted. This wasn't some sort of guaranteed, like you're in, you know, this is just a, it's probably a little more um, symbolic now than maybe what it has been in the past. I can't really speak to that because I don't necessarily know if they literally did it as a proving, but the name itself speaks to the fact there probably was a fairly, um, intense process associated with it at one point, but now it happens mostly behind the scenes and you would never get someone in there. At least I don't think so. Who would be like, ah, uh, no, I don't think I really got it right. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> no, nah, none I, for I, me. I, I feel, I feel the same way about the, the poor women that have to go and pray on. Like if God came down to that man and said, Oh, she's the one you're supposed to marry. Like what, how is she supposed to ever come back and be like, God told me no, like, nope, this isn't the way. Like, right. You know, it's established. Like, the, does that happen that, though? That's gotta happen. Yeah. Right. Cause I, I felt like, I mean, Heidi must've had a million. <laughs> your, your friend Heidi <laughs> you know? did that. Yeah. Heidi yeah. did that. Heidi yeah. was engaged and then broke it off. Oh, yeah. I did, ooh, yeah. did not know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, oh. so, you know, you go through this process, right? So now you've done the proving it's Saturday night. There's usually a meal beforehand because there's a meal before everything or after everything. I food, God, the is, food is so just so food good though. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Pies. Uh, Dr. Yeah. Shout out to Dr. That's another thing. Like my perception, 
of uh, the apostolic church as I remember one time having a conversation with Steiner because he was talking about how it was his family's weekend to provide the meal after oh, the service. Yeah. Oh. And I was like, <clears throat> I was like, what do you mean your responsibility? Well, we just buy the food. Of course, like the women of the church, like prepare it. And I'm like, really? Yeah. That's thousands of dollars. Yeah. Buy all, all that food. Like how much does that cost? Like, like, and I, re I remember him saying like, when my parents budget for it, it's like five to six thousand dollars, like <gasps> a, like a lot of money. Like, oh my, maybe God. I'm maybe my I, that's like filtered like through, but it's a, it's like a solid chunk of it's thousands. I don't I don't I can't speak yeah. to, it, but you're feeding a thousand people. Yeah, exactly. Like you're you're, and then the obligation that I know, like ma the majority of families I felt like growing up, like th that were had had some money right but when there were definitely families though in that church that did not and i could not imagine that like social obligation when that would come time like i feel like there were probably a good amount of families that they had to budget for that all the year for their weekend to come up that they were going to have to do that and i mean i'm sure it's not annually that they might have but like like they're saving they're stocking a little bit of money aside for when they're their ticket comes up. Yep. Uh, their turn, they called it. It's, it's your turn. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. uh, that's crazy. The meal, though. The, the meal before. Good food. Yeah. The, the meal the before. The last supper. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so that obviously goes into the next day, which is basically the normal church service, which we can not, we don't have to dive into a whole lot here, but each Sunday there's multiple services. There's a morning. Well, there's Sunday school. It's not like this in every apostolic church. Some have Sunday school and the morning church service simultaneously in Rittman and Smithville, which we were talking about in this conversation. It was Sunday school in the morning, everybody in church in the morning, which is what Dave is referring to, mm. including kids. So that's yeah. why if you had Sunday school associated with that first morning um, church service, you wouldn't have kids in there. But in our case, they do. Then you go to the multiple thousands of dollars lunch, which was about an hour and a half long which is saying, so that's, you're moving people through there. Um, yeah. And then you return at, uh, so the timeline would be uh, 1030 to 1130 for church service, 1130 to one for lunch, one to two for the afternoon service. And then the baptism would have taken place from two to four, five, I don't know, a long time because- this is where you first get to make out with a bunch of dudes. Oh, go this on the, real slow now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is the point where you are now a member, right? And so now I, uh, they say, all right, the service is over. We're now going to ask that the, the converts come up behind the, the preaching platform. <laughs> I'm using the wrong words here, but behind the scenes. And um, we change into different clothes. And then you, they say, okay, you're going to baptize you first, you're second, you're third. Um, and then they, they have a service, a prayer and singing and so on and so forth until it's my turn. And then you walk out and you're like, walk into the water. And then the elder who baptizes you, it asks you a series of questions. And they are basically a reiteration of things you've been asked prior. Um, but now you're publicly announcing this to the world that you are 
Um, and I don't remember them a hundred percent, but you know, do you, you know, that Jesus is the only son of God and you are, uh, uh forsaking the world and all of its pleasures. And you are indeed dead to sin. And this is going to be symbolic of that dead to sin. And when you arise, you're going to be a new creature in Christ as Palmer referenced, and you're going to leave that old man behind even to women, which was, which is not great. And, you know, we should probably refer to people that what they prefer to be referred to as, but the old man would be left behind. Um, and then um, Wait, did differentiate and women. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. They, sorry, I'm sorry. saying they should probably. Okay. <laughs> men and women are very different. And I they, see. Oh, I got it. I got it. Okay. They sure sorry. want to differentiate between men and women and everything else. Um, yeah. But, um, and so, and then after you, um, I don't remember what the final question was, but it was basically like, yes, I do. Oh, you know, cause you are the Bible references, um, Jesus almost being the bride of the church. And so you are almost entering into a marriage, if you will, this covenant, this special uh, agreement, um, where you will live the rest of your life in service to God, right. In exchange for heaven. Um, and so then you're baptized, um, which is full submersion as opposed to what Dave referred to, which is sprinkling. And there's all kinds of theological arguments that you can come up with about those things. If you really want to spend the next uh, 30 years of your life researching that sort of silliness. Um, and if you go up there behind the pulpit, it's really just a big bathtub. It is. It's, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's literally like somebody's old bathtub. But they didn't want to. And this is not with, everyone present this is this is okay because i thought i could you would have you would have yeah. been in this like palmer yeah, yeah no I, re I i remember seeing that and mm -hmm. uh and them duncan and then you guys going backstage and you change your click because then you like met us out would meet yeah to receive yeah. out yeah. front like so that process right there after baptism you then Everybody goes through that. I'm sure Tara was very beautiful when she was soaking wet. And then you come around. And things were clinging, you know, like a little clinging. You what go, kind Chang. of clothes did you guys wear for that? <laughs> I think it was just probably like a Dockers and a, I don't know, white shirt. What a bit. Yeah, not it her. wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> a ritual. It's not a ritual dress. It's just a practical matter of not You'll getting white clothes. Okay. Yeah. Walking I'm sure it was very day. appropriate, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. That's not what I was hoping, but all right. <laughs> oh my God. If she actually listened to this, I'd be horrified. I'm really sorry. Yeah. I'm I'm halfway through this vodka soda and it's already doing its thing. Oh no, so so afterwards you come back down and they have this process now called laying on in the hands, which Dave again is familiar oh, with. Where, yeah, a lot of where, this so is sort of familiar to me yeah. in some ways. So there is then there's a prayer offered by the elder when they have their hand literally on you, right? And they're mm -hmm. They're sealing you and they don't mean it like they're pouring it into you as much as they're like marking you, if you will, with, yeah. with this idea that you are now indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And then you're now considered a full member of the, the body of Christ, as well as the apostolic denomination. And then that's where we stood up again, you know, right down there. And then the whole church files through. And then you would then you would greet like you were a member, right? There would be a handshake and then generally uh, greeting with a kiss as well between men and men and women and women, because men and women, I don't, why would you, why yeah. the Bible certainly could not have meant when it said yeah. greet each other with a holy kiss that that would mean genders would, I mean, that 
No, no, no. Same gender only. It's clear. It's biblical teaching. But yeah, so same gender, of course. And then greetings, brother, greetings, sister, common, a common phrase used. And, uh, um, and after that, you would be exhausted because you were up for about 48 hours. You ever slip tongue just to be funny? (laughs) The hot ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh, you got me, you bastard. Oh, this is some good. I like the way you fill out those dockers. Yeah. I'll just let you know. Yeah. <laughs> to clarify, if you see some of the older members of the church, you know, two two gentlemen in their, you know, late middle age, uh, greeting one another with a kiss. I can assure you there is nothing sexual about it. <laughs> yeah, no. Lips are I, cursed. I, it's the briefest yeah. of contact. Uh, it's a yep. it's a formality to be observed. Yes, and that is all. Yeah, and and, and it's yeah. very much usually side to side for the most part. I mean, there are some people yeah. who are like very intense, and they they felt like, oh, this is slipping away from us. This practice, we need to embrace it fully. And then, so just like any sort of, here's a rule. Well, here's the broad range of application of that rule. Just like just you see right. in any uh, any business corporation course. about. Here's what the rule yep. is, and then people practice it on a spectrum. So some it's like yeah. the the French kind of side to side, yeah. And others oh, yes. it's like uh, a very European little, thing. Okay. And then yeah. other ones it's like I'm going in, yeah. And you're the other you French. better you better be ready. <laughs> yeah. And some people have better oral care than others. Unfortunately, <laughs> you get ah, to learn yeah. who maybe isn't the biggest fan of the old floss. Yeah. Yeah. Who the super smellers are. Yeah. My wife could smell a fart in the next county. And she every day it's like, oh, breath not great today. I'm like, okay, well, that, you don't <laughs> always have to say. <laughs> but, but it's it's a thing for her. So uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's where my joke comes from, where I've kissed a lot, a lot of, of men. A lot yeah. of dudes. Yeah. A lot of dudes of and, and and thinking back, there would be like people with like cold sores and stuff. And I'm like, oh, oh. oh. you can picture that. Oh yeah. I remember, I remember all that sort of, or people like, like chap lips and stuff. like, dude, like take a break. It's okay. Like we don't have to make out. We're nope, all right. Good. Yeah. Take a Sunday yeah. off, get that taken care of. I, I have the same conversation, had the same conversation with my wife who is a Catholic because then it was like free reign. I could ask all my like, like deep rooted Catholic questions. And I'm just like, what do you guys do during during flu season? Like, how do you do communion during flu season? And she's like, they're actually really strong. You know, she explained it how they're a lot of churches encourage like if you're not feeling well, like maybe like there's other ways that you can do communion without actually drinking, like infecting everybody by drinking the way out of the same chalice that everybody else does. So, uh, I I mean, all that kind of shit is just like it's just crazy. Uh, yeah, and to my understanding, it's really interesting you bring that up, Palmer. To my understanding, they've actually ceased some of that during the pandemic mm. because of, if they're even holding services, like a right. lot of a lot of churches around us, especially, are really encouraging like virtual services where they're it's, offering like that, yeah, that, that virtually. So because they used um, to just do the one cup for communion. I did communion twice, I think. Um, but the, like just one cup, right? You pass the cup around and you take a sip. And now they did like, they, they encourage them to do just like the little, like peel the top off plastic single serving. Yep. Know, yep. So there has been some of that, I think because they're worried about not worried about, 
but there is this strong emphasis in the apostolic tradition of, of this idea that um, it, as much as possible, live peaceably with everybody. And so in, in that is obeying rulers, even if you don't agree with them, unless it conflicts strictly yeah. with yep. a biblical command. So for example, in this case where they're saying, look, you're going to kill people <laughs> if you keep doing some of these things. If you yeah. keep joining together and you you keep shaking hands and having, you know, you're kissing each other and not wearing masks and you're you're doing all this stuff, you're going to pass this around and you're really going to hurt and kill people. There's nothing biblical about saying just pump the brakes on this. You can return to this. This isn't some sort of like national law where we're banning this or you know right. <laughs> some sort of like. <clears throat> Uh, we're secretly coming in and getting rid of your 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 sacred traditions. So, um, right. I think some of that has changed, as far as my understanding, at least temporarily. So, I, but that I, that's kind which, of which it. is nice that they're receptive to that. I mean, because there's plenty in in the country right now that are like don't tread on any of the these things the in these traditions that I have because I will have issue with that. So, um, it's nice that they are open enough to recognize like we might need to just just change these for a little bit just to and i and, and that is I, I i think it's fair to point that out about the at least the my lay understanding of the apostolics is that they are very a very tolerant they might not Eh, look at steiner's face <laughs> that's a great face you can, you can talk <laughs> about where you're going but no, but like outwardly, I, I should say, like they don't rock the boat. Um, if yeah, they're, they're even peaceable, they non-confrontational, you know, they may, yeah, that they would certainly disagree with your long hair and rock and roll, but they're not going to call you out on it. Right. If, I were, if you and I were to have a conversation about the LGBTQ community with members of the Apostolic Church, um, I would your your opinions of them would change drastically. Unfortunately. Oh, really? oh so they yes. do yeah. speak out about certain things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, and that's not but I, I understand to some degree what you're saying in the sense that there, there is this endeavor to as much as possible, but then they, yeah. they come up into these lines or at least they perceive them to be lines. So as much as possible, we want to get along. We want to be gracious and kind and gentle. But when we get to this specific spot, we can't go further. And so, yeah, Okay, I uh, Steiner might have been you might have been the one that even said this once, but it really stuck with me where it's like nothing's nothing is outwardly forbidden. It's just there's a lot that's really discouraged, you know, like there's a lot of subtext. There's a lot of weasel words. There's a lot of assumptions and traditions. And there's not a set of rules written down saying uh, thou shalt not. Well. Thou shalt not listen to rock and roll. Oh, right. That's not right. a great example, right. but uh, there's a lot of pressure and maybe more of that goes into the appearance stuff, the haircuts. Although I guess Twinkie, you were explicitly told not to be stylish in your two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But maybe that was more a perspective from somebody who is not a member where they don't necessarily prescribe things or lay down the law. It's just, you know, osmosis that you pick up on what is okay and what isn't okay. And right. perhaps with the members, they do have the, the handbook or something. Well, you definitely have yeah. people who would have conversations with you. I mean, like the example I use would have been like, 
um, Merle, who was the second elder, the one who, who got silenced, he would get up and, and, you know, it wouldn't, again, there's no follow through. I mean, you're not going to be like, all right, you go get your haircut and get rid of that fashionable haircut or we're kicking you out. Right. There's none of that. That's not, but there's just like, right. if you, you know, what's going to happen next, you get that fashionable haircut and soon, you know, you're going to be having threesomes. And, <laughs> I mean, would they really like? Would they really allude to that? Like, well, like slippery slope. Not that then, not that ridiculous. But the slippery slope idea, for sure. Like this huge logical fallacy that is the slippery slope. um, Right. Would get brought out all the time. This slide away from God. Well, it just happens. You just start with just the smallest thing, and your your heart becomes a little bit hardened by this. Uh, you watch the Cleveland Indians baseball game and then you're slinging heroin. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's well, so racist, but yeah. the, so yeah. but that's the gentle pleading thing, right? Where you're trying to, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I have a question about the, the, the repentance sort of thing that before we, and then I actually have a question about the baptism day mm-hmm. that maybe might lead us back into that. So the repentance thing, I was wondering, so we've joked about that yours was so much longer, but I wondered like, is there a kind of a, an average or like it generally takes this long? And I wonder too, like, what are the logistics of it for the, on the church's side, like as the person is going out and making their amends, um, are there so many prescribed meetings with the elder? Is there a formality to that? There's no prescribed formality as far as I'm aware of. There wasn't for me again, different leadership. Um, Dr. Anderson reference it in his conversation with us. There's more uh, people in these positions now who are uh, uh, business, just like Palmer was talking about how it kind of seeped into their personal life. And they're using that verbiage now in their personal life. That sort of business acumen is going to seep into how they run the church. And so they very well could have people who are business, you know, in, in, uh, you know, white collar American corporation, whatever, who are now using some of those things and would have maybe a little more scheduled formality, you know, that you might find in somebody who's new to a company, you know, all right. So we're going to have this onboarding. They're yeah. going to meet with you in two weeks. And then we want to hear some feedback from you. And then we're going to meet every three months. And we have happy hour after this, which would be, <laughs> which would be singings. If you are a single person in the apostolic church, right. Which was oh, right. On, That's a real thing, right? Yeah. They, yeah. yeah. So actually have a weird yeah, memory of that. Yeah. And so so some of that might care of it, but for me, there wasn't. And, and I, I'd love to hear Steiner's take on this, but for me, I would guess the average person was probably six months, six to eight months. Sounds yeah. about right. Like a year would be a longish thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So six to eight months. And especially with the younger kids, we're talking 12 year olds. Oh, maybe that, I, I, that young 14 like, year old. Like, like, what do you, what have you done? You've lived on a farm your whole life. Like we, there was somebody in our like periphery that had joined that young. And I don't want to call out who that particular person was, but it, who had joined, I think in around 10 or, or 11 that, uh, was just so surprised. Like, because what, like how, how, how awful would it, I, I, I remember when you, t- when you told me you were joining, you said you were driving across the country and you just felt 
as if God had forsaken you. I can remember you saying that and that you just pulled over and you found a payphone and you called your mom and you told her that like, God, God has forsaken me. And she said, that's impossible. God would not do that. But you, you know, maybe, maybe he's just trying to send you a sign or something. Um, and in hindsight, I look at it and it's like, Jesus, driving across Kansas to make anybody fucking feel, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> feel forsaken for sure. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Uh, let alone an impression rule, like 19, yeah. 18, 19 year old, you know. Uh, but I, I, I just, I can't, um, I used to really feel, and I, I still feel this way, is just to be able to have made that kind of commitment at such a young age. Um, it, well, it's I unhealthy. Used to be it is, I feel now yeah. looking back, but at the time I used to be so envious of that to just be able to have the where, like I saw it as the wherewithal to make this kind of like rigid commitment. And then to just be, to have a sense of belonging with a community, like an established, you know, an established community that I, I still am envious a little bit of people in who are able to find a connection with a community of people through religion. That really is something that I, I feel like if I could legitimately be able to wrap my head and do that, I think I would really enjoy it but i just logically can't bring myself to yeah. do it uh um brother do i, I would... have some atheist groups for you <laughs> oh awesome yeah, yeah awesome I, I, I... <laughs> that's right yeah no no things yeah I, I i just there it i would not I, I struggle to call myself an atheist now there was definitely a large portion of my life where i did um but uh, I, you know, I did not grow up religious at all. There was, and and my mother was very open to letting me find my own way, and so, and I really appreciate that, um, just because it allowed me to really, I can't deny my own brain and my own like logic and my own thinking, and so it, it, I, I, I see religion as just one of those things that is a constant journey, and it should it should change and it should grow with you um, because I just think you have a different capacities of faith and understanding based on different times of your life. And so um, one thing that always stuck with me was my mom very close to when she passed away said, it just gets, you get to a point in your life where you want to feel like there's something bigger than you. And it gets harder to to deny that, and uh, that's kind of I, I've kind of found peace with that. Where I don't necessarily I I can call it God or I can call it, but it's this universe. There is something. There is it's it is hard for me to deny that there is something bigger than me that might have some kind of sway on this, and whether it's just statistical analysis, if you you know just the like sheer like statistics of things happening in the universe or if you want to call it god or any of those things it's just hard for me to deny the existence of that that there is a uh a, th a, 
a method to this chaos that exists out there. And, and uh, what uh, I would say to that, that's in stark contrast to the apostolic church where you are not allowed. There is no room for ex- exploration of any of those things. And there's no yeah. journey. There's no journeys to be taken. The journey to be taken is the joining. And after yeah. that, it's simply that drilling down deep into that bedrock of established doctrinal yeah, and I won't even call it doctrinal as much as tradition, and uh, you know, uh, because there's no formal training, right? Nobody gets to have formal yeah. training for theology. There's not, not none of those things, and so it's passed down tradition. I think even Dave talked to doctors about would you call it faith or tradition or like what would you refer to it as? You know, and it's because there is yeah. no formal uh, apostolic Christian theology school. <laughs> it's it's we'll help you figure it out on the on the way but only if you're figuring it out in this very specific path like steiner's talked about yeah there's a very small number of uh, official documents but that's not a large part of teaching or of study and there is almost no study that i'm aware of that anyone engaged in for adjacent texts or texts of other traditions uh, dr anderson mentioned how you're they discourage people from even visiting other denominations, let alone studying them. Yep. So it really is just inward focused on this tradition and theology. I, I was surprised at how much he said theology played a part in the ACF split, because to me, theology was never a primary concern. It was always behavioral traditions and ritual traditions. Yeah. And they, they, there is some documents that like various people wrote, in that split that references some general theological points, but yeah, it's not some sort of treaties in, you know, some study of, of Calvinistic, you know, Protestantism and it's slow creep into Anabaptism or anything like that. It's these high level concepts at best. I was wondering about, yeah, say Dave, um, you had another question about the baptism. Yeah. Well, and I had one more quick one about the, the repentance thing that may or may not uh, go anywhere. But I was just curious, like, you know, I, I know, so so you've talked to, you went as far as like talking to teachers, you know, of course you talked to friends. I was wondering what part, if any, it, your family had in that. Like, do you repent to your parents, to your siblings? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's the same along the lines of family, friends, any anyone in your life is the same process. Now, your family is going to be more aware of what's going on generally and what's about to happen and, you know. Maybe just so it's not like I'm sorry I whatever it's, use it's your training China at that time or I can't remember but like yeah. the, it must be big things you would have to apologize to your parents about not just really small stuff or I remember mine being yeah fairly conversational you know about it just saying like you know, I probably said specific things about I don't know whatever I, I don't remember really. Yeah. Drilling, sure drilling a hole in the floor to run a dial-up oh, yeah. modem wire <laughs> across right. the basement. That's right. To attach <laughs> to the outside telephone box house to play Doom and Duke Nukem 3D with Steiner and Palmer. Classic, classic. Gosh. Um, Gripping the wire off the telephone up in your parents' bedroom that they, quote, never used and would yeah. never notice. <laughs> Which they then noticed uh. almost immediately. <laughs> 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 but it worked. Uh, yeah. 
got yeah. that 19 two baud modem up and repairing yeah for two amateur electricians it somehow didn't fail immediately yeah where did we get wire even long and i don't did we go buy something like radio shack i have no idea i thought it was all from that phone because there was like a super long cord to that phone or a super long wire connecting to that phone but such were the adventures of teenage us some nerds <laughs> yeah yeah um Family was just another, it was almost probably training wheels, if you were, in the sense that you would probably start talking to your family first and then get a feel for how that process was. And then go on to like the scarier people. Was there a uh, kind of a scariest, like a, was, do you remember something, someone for yourself where you were just like, oh, Jesus, I got to work up. Well, not Jesus. I got to work up. (laughs) I got to work up. Literally, probably at the time, Jesus. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. I guess I answered my own question. <laughs> boy, nothing. Tra- I mean, they probably all seemed very hard to me. Um, yeah. just yeah. because you're a proud when you're, it's really a challenge to your pride, right? You're going to all these people and they have to admit your mistakes to them, or, or. Uh, oh my God! Our whole country, our whole world, almost melted down because people can't own up to mistakes it is not yeah. a surprise yeah. to me yeah that, uh, yeah that, that is a is a difficult thing yeah uh, but i don't because i like again i don't really and then looking back i don't really do anything terrible yeah so. yeah i remember you said like i kind of got you said the same thing that like bauman gave dave where you were like hey if there was anything i ever did in our time yeah. knowing each other and i cut you off i'm like dude you like you're one of the nicest people I know. Like, I remember even saying that back then. I'm like, you didn't do anything to yeah. me. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. It was just more of like that going and just being like, Oh, I gotta go again. And like do this. And you thing. did that for two fucking years. But, yeah. Man. yeah like, it was like a year and a half. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like constant, but you know, it'd be like, Oh, this weekend I'm going to go talk to these five people or, you know, you can always get a hold of people. I wrote, I wrote a letter that I still have. And had I thought about it, I would have got it out to the principal of North street school. We're going to need to take a break and get that letter soon. Cause that would be amazing. I've got you be willing to share that. I would. Yeah. Holy shit. Let's just do like five. I can probably find it in five. Okay. I was just wondering, Steiner, like for someone who, you know, decided at such a young age that this was not for you when, um, you know, cabin kid friends or you probably had others I didn't know about were, were joining. Um, and those guys that you were like breaking away to skip church with were now, you know, joining up proper. What was that like for you? Well, it was in a way lucky uh, because my close friends didn't join until uh, after that time period. Like uh, the skipping out to hang out was a uh, high school or very immediately thereafter. Uh, and then from that point, I was not attending as much anymore. Uh, they were may or may not have been in uh, Twinkie was kind of the first of there's there was the group of four of us, uh, the cabin guys that you guys know. Uh, Twinkie, I believe, was the first. Um, 
so it was it didn't have an immediate impact because I had kind of moved on to other things. But then the reality of it kind of set in that, oh, this person isn't around. Like I felt like I couldn't talk to them and didn't talk to them. And that was uh, challenging, very much so for somebody that you had been, that I had been friends with since as far back as I could remember. And the other guys for quite a long time as well. Um, so it was, for better or worse, the timing was a little bit later when I had other things going on. I was a little bit older, so the impact was different than, this, than if we were in high school. Uh, but still, it's it was a thing. It was a thing to have somebody essentially disappear. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's take that break and uh, yeah, see if I get can that find letter, it. bro. <laughs> I got I got to know what you had to say to that principal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I saw it's his, re- it's his response. I don't remember why. Oh I wrote my to God. <laughs> it's his response. That, yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. this is great. That's I was not anticipating wow. this. <laughs> <laughs> Historical documents. See, I got a little Dave on me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad no that shit. another letter can exist other than just the one I wrote, the humiliating one. I wrote pumps that got read. <laughs> <laughs> I learned a lot about myself from that though. So we'll see uh, <laughs> what we learned from this. Wow. But then of course we're going to hear about your triumphant, you know, yeah. You know, Ex- the, exodus. the exodus Rising from yeah. the ashes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With a mullet, no shirt and one arm way bigger than the other. For <laughs> <some reason. laughs> oh, so awesome. I can't wait. All right. I'm back in just a minute. Okay. Did you find this letter? 
I'm proud to say that for our audio listeners, I'm holding up a letter. Oh my God. What uh, is the from, date on this thing? Okay. So that's a, we'll get there in just a minute. This is James Stafford. Mr. Stafford, of course, is how I knew him. Oh, my I God. of course remember that name. Yeah. Oh from North, he was North my Street favorite. School. Now, I'll hold up again in just a second, but it's dated February 25th of 2000. So I must have started in 1999. Um, and, and again, I, you would think I would remember this clearly. Part of it is probably pushing it out of my mind for the better part of the last 20 years um, and only trying to come to grips with it seriously in the last five and so I, I didn't keep a notebook about like, hey, this is when I joined the church and this is when I left the church. Um, there are specific events that are associated with it. But anyway, so here we go. James Stafford, I'm sure he's no longer at this address. So, well, I won't say it for the, we're not, it's the audio listeners, but it's got his address. Um, it's addressed to my house where I grew up in Ritman, Ohio. Um, Dr. James Stafford, as I find out that it's doctor, I think. It's been a while since I read it. Maybe it's not doctor. Oh, it's pastor. That's right. That's what the surprise Oh, was. interesting. This comes with a Christ United Methodist, Methodist Church letterhead. I'll show it at the end here. Um, in East Springfield, Ohio. And it's, I don't really know where East Springfield, Ohio is, uh, but it, um, it's Steubenville is where it's postmarked. So central southeast Ohio. Is that Steubenville, southeast Ohio? Ste- anyway, Steubenville, southeast. Yeah. Yeah. Like right on the right on the West Virginia border. Oh, OK, so it just says, dear, what a wonderful surprise to hear from you. I remember you, even though you've probably grown so much, I wouldn't recognize you now. I don't know if I can read this. Oh, that's okay. You don't have to. No, no. Um, Just just give me a second. These things are surprising to me sometimes, and I don't necessarily anticipate it happening. Um, um, And I always have to tell my wife that tears are just something that happens to me. I don't necessarily feel as strongly as I look sometimes, but it is emotional. Um, uh, Because he's just, of course, unbelievably kind. Um, However, the young boy, I remember, was a rather slender lad who was kind and caring. Um, And I think I was, I don't have it specifically, the document that I wrote him, but I think what happened was I had fallen and broken my arm and I had lied about how it happened because I was sliding down the slide standing up. Oh, that's badass. And fell like at the bottom and landed on my arm awkwardly and it broke my wrist and yeah, so i Phil, think i knocked me on my ass <laughs> <laughs> and so i think i lied about that because i didn't want to get in trouble for doing it wrong or something yeah you know i was a kid a scared kid for most of my life frankly um uh, the fact that you told a fib when i was a principal and you a lad in fourth grade comes as no surprise um every boy who has ever sent to the principal's office has probably done the same thing including me you know and this gets to the point that i want to get to at the end of this but i'm going to mention it now i think if somebody would have just taken the time to tell me to fucking relax and everything is going to be fine at any point 
at the time that I was a member of the apostolic church, if somebody would have just said like, dude, chill the fuck out, like calm down. You're like taking this all way too seriously. I'd probably still be a member there (laughs) because (laughs) I, I would just stop worrying about all of these things and just enjoy being with people and relaxed and just said like, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to say things you wish you wouldn't say and do things you wish you wouldn't do. And you're going to treat people the way you wish you wouldn't treat them. Everybody does it. And if somebody would have just told me that and said, just do you just be, just go about your life the best way you can. You're going to, it's going to be fine. I probably would still be a member of the church, frankly. Um, uh, it just says, rest assured that you are totally forgiven. Again, going back to the fact that I would have asked for forgiveness for that as part of this process. Um, I rejoice in the fact that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. My life too has changed. I'm now a pastor of a small church here in East Springfield. We usually have 75 to 80 people um, on Sunday morning. My wife and I are leaving for the Holy Land. I'm assuming he means Israel and surrounding countries. On Monday, February 28th, I'll be adding a short prayer to your letter and intend to bury it somewhere on Calvary on your behalf, um, the hill where Jesus was crucified. Wait, Um, he's going to bury your letter on that hill? He intended to. Holy the fuck. Okay. Me and Jesus. Much love. May you continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit as we journey on this road together. All the best wishes, Pastor Jim Stafford. And then address. So, you know, you can see that the extent to which a person can go in order to like get to this point of like wanting to be whole and peace, full of peace again, you know, trying to exercise all of these demons from being a fucking fourth grader or whatever that lied about breaking their arm, you know. And again, there's a part of that that's healthy and there's a part of that that's unhealthy, frankly where we have to acknowledge that kids aren't many, many adults, kids are kids and they have different psychology and they're, they're not purposefully trying to deceive in order to perpetrate a great crime. I was just scared of getting in trouble. That's it. Um, and so he handles it healthily. I think <laughs> way health, more healthily than uh, the church that I attended did. But yeah, Pastor Jim Stafford. Thank took, you. Thank you very much back. for reading that. And um, I've kept it. I don't know why, really. I think I've kept it maybe as a reminder to some degree of, um, I don't know. I really don't know. At the time, when I probably threw away a bunch of things or tried to throw away a bunch of things or try to push things out of my head because of the pain of, you know, the, the exodus, if you will. I'm glad you kept it. I'm glad you shared it with us. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. Steiner, do you remember uh, going into Stafford's office for taking out those two kids during a hawker game and like those two bullies? Do you remember that? And he like, he like oh. literally. Oh man. oh, man. So do you remember Even hawker, hawker right? game? 
yeah. remember oh, the yeah. name. I couldn't just, tell you how I to play you it said, anymore. I thought maybe you yeah. said hockey wrong. But, uh, but I kind no. Of no, 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 hockey. It was a combination of of soccer and hockey. That was supposed yeah. to be it. But really, all it was was body checks. You kicked around <laughs> a one liter of uh, an empty one liter of Mountain Dew. That was the like ball, quote unquote ball, and. Uh, if you uh, the whole thing was like you just wanted to try to keep keep control of it as long as possible, and any if you had control of it, anybody could come and try to like take you out to try to get it. Okay. And uh, the worst thing that could happen is if somebody kicked that thing into your hands, like where it touched hmm. your hands, because then it was like a fucking dog pile, and everybody got to like. You get, they got a free body check on you for touching your hands, and like somebody would scream "hands," and then everybody would just oh, fucking yeah. like take out this person. Wow! And so uh, we were in the middle school, like because Stafford came down from North Hill and was the principal at the middle school, and the field that we played hockey on, all the like the the bully kids like to play football on. And so this, something happened on this one day that uh, they just did not like us out there playing fucking hawker. And so Steiner and I both ended up in body checking these these kids. And they were and like the one was just like, I'm going to the principal. And uh, I was like, OK, great. And uh, <laughs> but we were like not to like toot our own horns, but like we were. In a lot of the academic clubs, we were student council members. We were just like, and, we were never uh, in trouble. We were never in the principal's office. Ever in trouble, and citizens. Got, right. And so it, this fucking kid nerds. did go to the. Yeah, <laughs> we were fucking nerds. That's what exactly what we were. And uh, I was in fucking ti. Like, come on. Oh. <laughs> so, and uh, wait, what did that stand I for, though? Teen Institute. Institute. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I was in Trogdon's science class, seventh grade. Oh, stupid and, acting. Uh, and over the intercom, like, please come to the principal's office. And we come in there. And I'm I'm totally paraphrasing this, but I was like, holy shit. Like, we are actually go- getting called to the principal's office. And he sat down. They, he heard, he listened to their side of the story and then told them, he's like, okay, I'm going to take care of this. And he sends them out. And he sits down and he basically says, this is why fucking Jim Stafford is just the most amazing. Like, this is what inspired one of the events that inspired me to become a teacher and then ultimately try to become a principal was he sat down and he's like, listen, there's sometimes there's people in school that really like to take advantage of other people through as much as possible. And the second that those people try to stand up for themselves, these people, the 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 bad people, want to come in and just cry like a baby. And he said, so I think that's what happened this time. But you technically shouldn't you shouldn't have done what you did. So I need each of you to just tell me, did you do what you did? And I remember Steiner and I looking at each other and I and we we looked back at him and we were like, yeah. And he's like, okay. So I'm gonna have to give you some kind of punishment. And we're like, okay. And he's like, both of you put your hands up. And we're, we, I'm like, what? And he's like, put your hands up. So we put our hand up like this. And he walks over and he literally like takes our hand. And he's like, don't you ever do that again. 
<laughs> and then he walked over to Steiner and he's like, don't do that again. That's and awesome. He's like, now go back to class. It was so fantastic. Well done. Like, yeah. He, he yeah. understood the dynamics more than yes. we could see it for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, I was going to ask you, and I, I'm happy to we can just move to the ex- Exodus, but I, I was kind of just curious about the baptism day, like how you felt. Did you feel like some, did it, I don't know, did, or was it all just the, the you know, kind of stress of a public event? I, I don't know. Did you feel a spiritual? Um, yeah, I don't sense? think I felt stress. I felt like cal- calm about it or, or like felt welcomed by people. I mean, I think it's fairly common when you're in a group of people who all share your similar, similar beliefs, but no matter what that similar belief is, you're probably going to have some heightened endorphins and chemicals and, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're going to experience this positive feeling um, when everybody is showing you so much gratitude, you know, or love and affection and uh, support and, you know, that sort of thing. I, I don't know if I necessarily would, maybe at the time I would have said it was a religious experience, but I think that if I would have called anything religious experience, it's probably what Palmer referred to that initial like um, change and that call to repent, that feeling separated from God and feeling that like loneliness and wanting to fix things that, that, that time frame was more of the religious experience than the, um, the rest of the process. And then how did you, Palmer had this great question like hours ago about, I think, moving towards the the realization that this was not a good thing for you. Palmer, do you remember what your question was? I could always yeah, insert no. it here or I don't I, know. I, I'm just curious at like what the foundation of like, where was the first time, the first recognizable chink in this decision? Yeah. So, uh, you, you know, as you go, you just, especially someone who's still going to college, I had a, you know, I was still going to college to be a teacher. Um so I was still getting some level of education and exposure, and I'm sure some of those things kind of subconsciously played into it. Uh, thanks, Dr. Weinstein, for sure. Um, but I, I would say it just kind of culminated in the fact that I just didn't feel as strongly about some of the things that other people around me felt super strong about. Now, um, so I'd been a church member now for apparently longer than I thought if this was 99, maybe I was baptized in 2000. Like, I, I, I don't know. I um, don't have the, the thing, but maybe baptized in 2000, but in just a couple of years, I was, uh, uh, I guess, voted on or whatever to be an usher in the church. And that basically means at events, you help get people where they should be. So like at a wedding or a funeral or even during regular Sunday, help getting people out and um, getting people to the lunchrooms and getting people out of the lunchrooms and moving people around. But, you know, it's symbolically like, Hey, this guy, he's going places, you know, like he's a, he's someone in the church who we respect and um, we believe in and really holds true and so on and so forth. And so I was doing that job, which actually was really good because I, as I started to doubt and like, listen to more um, mainstream theological, um, you know, like on uh, Christian radio, right? You'd actually get people who went to, who were trained in theology. And so they could break down theological concepts and what they were talking about. At least I could track and made sense to me 
um, at the time, it doesn't necessarily make sense to me now, but, or I, I don't agree with it now, but at the time it made sense because I could track the theology. Whereas when I would go to church, it would be gentle pleading, but it'd be like the same stuff and it wouldn't have any basis in any sort of, um, so the format was you would read text in the old Testament, have a prayer, read text in the new Testament. And then there would be 30 minutes of talk after that. Well, a lot of them, there would be no, I read the text, I pray, read the text. And then I just talk about whatever I want to talk about where you would tune into these other preachers, right. And they would read the text and they would break it down and they would talk about it. And how, what does this mean? And what's the context when it was written versus how we interpret it now. And there was this kind of, there's a word for it. I can't think of it, but this theological approach or this, uh, how you interpret the Bible, right? There's a whole course on how to interpret the Bible and um, maybe different versions of the Bible versus the King James only version, which we were only allowed to have in the apostolic church. And that led to reading other texts uh, Steiner referred to just even like, these aren't like atheist texts or anything. They're just people who have written these compendiums that comment commentaries on the Bible. And so you just get to the point where you're like, listen, I'm not opposed to greeting with the holy kiss, but this has nothing to do with whether somebody's forgiven or saved right. by the blood of Christ. I'm fine if you want to sit separately with men and women because there's ways you're feeling like you're you're um, helping people who are widows or widowers or the single people in your congregations to feel welcome rather than people sitting in family groups and then everybody else kind of feeling like, where do I sit? Great. That has nothing to do with biblical theology about salvation. I don't, if you want to talk about my haircut, great. But again, nothing to do with whether I'm saved or not. And I felt this conflation of tradition and how we do things would run over really easily into judgment about whether somebody had strayed away from God and was now condemned to hell. And you're like, we're talking about, we're talking about my, the color of my tie or whether I should wear a white shirt or a colored shirt under, you know, under my suit to church. We're just talking about mind blowingly small things versus, for example, if you're a Christian at all, you understand I'm not saying you, I mean, the general audience, the idea of, of, uh, I don't know, like basic theological concepts, justification, um, which is a theological concept that I, as a human could never do anything to earn the salvation and the, the, the peace of God. And so I am justified through the death of Christ. And so his perfectness covers my imperfectness. That's a, that is like a foundational theological concept in virtually every realm of Christianity. Never once was I ever taught about justification or the concept of sanctification, which is the, the, the twin brother of justification, meaning this process by which simply you get better as you go because you learn more, not the opposite of what I learned was, hey, now that you've been baptized, you're perfect at this point in time. Now you're perfect. We expect you to be perfect from now until death. That's the expectation. Holy living perfectness. Now you might have failures and shortcomings, right? But that's the perfection. Had somebody told me, let's talk about justification. 
you're saved. The blood of Christ covers you. Nothing you do or don't do messes with that. That's, that's taken care of. Now let's talk about sanctification. As you go and grow as a person, you're 19 or 20, you're going to grow and learn more things, right? Hopefully, otherwise you're an idiot. Hopefully you're going to grow and learn more things. You're going to get better at things. Maybe you have a really bad temper. You're going to learn tools to count to 10 before you yell at people or what? I don't know. You know, you're going to get, you're going to become a better person. You're going to learn how to handle these things. And none of those concepts, I don't know if they're even still taught, but that's like a really basic foundational, like I get, you don't want to do theology, but had somebody expressed that to me, I'd have been like, oh yeah. Okay. So I'm probably going to mess up along the way. Yeah. So that was it, Palmer. Sorry. The long answer is I just saw this divide opening further and further between my actual life and being a person who does things wrong and that not being what this church expected of me that I could ever, right. ever live up to. Right. That That's a little heartbreaking to me because it, it, it it's almost like your choice is the, was the realization that I could never live to these expectations. I could never meet the true expectations of that. So I'm going to choose in their eyes forsakement or, or being forsaken. Right. Like, uh, yeah. uh, and that dude, I hope you're moved past that. Uh, yeah. that's, that's, that, that's heartbreaking. That, that is truly heartbreaking. I've had many uh, therapy appointments <laughs> since then. So yeah. thankfully I've moved to some degree past it, but you know, those things yeah, are I, traumatic I, to some degree. Yeah, I, of course. I, I, I just, the, the, the level of commitment and choice that you make and to go through what you would describe as a two year process. And then at the end of that process to come to the realization that I'm not good enough for this, that is, that is delusional. I, I, I'm going to be your friend and tell you that, that, that is delusional. That is. Right. Of course. No, because the expectation is yeah. ridiculous, right? Like nobody could ever. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm, I like, I'm on the verge of crying for you because of that, that, that is, I had no idea. And that is, uh, uh, that's why I mentioned uh, if somebody uh, would just uh, take uh, me aside uh, and been like, dude, everybody screws yeah. up. Like, whatever but but that's not but what they even, say right they double down every time like yeah in that gotta, is yeah i'm that is sinister um in my opinion and even through this process as you're describing it you still had belief you oh, still absolutely. were christian you hadn't started doubting the the big picture yet you were still just sweating oh, yeah. the small stuff in a way. Oh yeah. This has nothing to do with me believing in or not believing in basic, what, what anybody in the world would describe as basic tenets of Christianity. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is the only son of God. He came to earth, died on the cross, rose again in three days, blah, blah, like, like really like kids in Sunday schools and churches across the world, basic tenets. I still believed in at the time, 100%. This was, yeah. this is the thing I'm proud of. So at this time, I had just gone to a friend's wedding, um, one of the four, right? 
in Sardis, Ohio. This would have been in like July. And I remember, and I'd already just so struggled. Oh my, just the usher thing was great. Cause I didn't have to go sit in church. I could sit outside of church and like on this bench because you were there to like, if somebody came out and needed something, right? Like you knew where the emergency stuff was, right? You were there. And also if somebody kind of wandered in from the community, you could help them. Um, so you were kind of there to be a buffer if you were to help people. Um, but it also afforded me the chance to just not be in there and just be like, feeling like everybody was staring at you, knowing that you were here, but you were totally faking it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> look See, at Winkler. That's how he you felt about any yourself. Of this. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like that's how you were, you were Ed Norton in fight club at the, at the support group, yeah. right? Like yeah. you're, you're just like, <laughs> like, like baby. They know sleep. they absolutely, yeah, yeah. there's no way they yeah. don't know that. I don't believe any of this stuff. Wow. Um, and so I'd gone to Hartzler's wedding and I came back and I was just like, I am lying to everybody all the time. Everything I do here, I'm just lying to people. This isn't good for me. This isn't good for them. This isn't, this isn't right. This isn't how anybody should live. Um, and I don't even know how I came to that. I, Cause it maybe just me trying to twist it enough to feel the confidence to, yeah. to, to get out. Now, normally when people leave, they just leave because it's a very intense thing. Um, you are usually not officially shunned like you would read about maybe in an old Amish text or maybe in the conservative Mennonite groups. But there's this, as Steiner has referenced many times, subtext. Maybe a person isn't invited to things as much or you don't necessarily associate with them or they aren't invited to certain events or, you know, like a classic passive aggressive yeah pattern of i almost want to say abuse but i guess uh, it is passive nope. aggressiveness nope. be termed abuse because it's abuse. jesus it's this Sorry. idea that if i treat this Last person mean. poor enough they'll feel bad they'll they'll realize it and they'll come back to me are your parents like were did your parents do that to you no like, not they... to any large extent no I mean, you, you, like you, you were able to maintain a relationship with them, right? Like you, not, like you, not really, um, because it's all my mom can see, unfortunately. Yeah. She can't see anything other than the fact that I'm a former member of the apostolic church and that I'll come back at some point. And so that, that inhibits anything else really substantial taking place in our relationship, at least from my perspective. Is that does that for you like is that feel like a kind of a she sees it all as a reflection on her or she's just worried about your mortal soul or both probably a little both yeah uh, but probably more so the latter like yeah. everyone's yeah. everyone's focus is on the latter they they care about you they don't want you to go to hell yeah you know, that's that's yeah. how they yeah. phrase it but then it comes out this is that dichotomy that twinkie has referenced several times now which is important you know it's like warm-hearted, caring people with your best interest at heart doing terrible things at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Awful things, frankly, as far as in how we treat other human beings. Um, But here's what I did. So I didn't do what other people do in the sense that I just was like, peace out suckers. I'm not coming back. Um, I, I think I went to Merle. Uh, yeah, I think I started with him and just said like, hey, man, this isn't working. It's not you. It's me. <laughs> uh, no, I, 
But basically, like I said, I, it's my intention to revoke my membership of the apostolic church. Here are some really basic reasons why. I just don't hold these things as closely as I see other people. And I have you know, substantial disagreements on some of the emphasis that the apostolic church places on things which did not go over well. <laughs> wow. Um, what was did, that? Was that like a oh, call? Was, like you or like, you, you, and you had to wait for a couple days and that was, and feel can I that. come over to your house? What works? Yeah. A couple days probably. And then show up and then have to do that. Yeah. That's he wasn't just like, look, we've been over this. Two years is the cap. <laughs> I know you no, jerk off. I invested. I don't even yeah. talk about it well, no, this is, this is a different elder. This is a different oh, person. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who okay. is, who is not the kind patriarchal experienced fellow oh. from before. He's oh, this is the guy, this is the person right. that's part of the schism. Mm-hmm. He silenced uh. and ends up leaving to go to the other church in, in, in 2012. Who, but, f- who favors the side of wanting a more uh, conservative. Well, yeah. He wants to retain, retain the faith that uh. has been slowly slipping away. They want to go back to the old ways. So definitely not welcoming of someone who would, because by the way, when you're talking about like people, everyone's familiar with these idea of sancti- sanctification and this, that, or the other. I think you're giving way too much credit for sort of oh. general Christianity's well, s- sort maybe. of sense of <laughs> questioning and seeking. But I mean, I'm sure there Fair. is that. But yeah. but obviously, so this this gentleman is not going to be the slightest bit open to no. questioning of anything. You've reached a decision. You're you make this incredibly brave call. Steiner has his finger on the pulse of it. This man is overwhelmed. He's overworked. He's exhausted by the constant conflict that's been happening for the past three. By the time I go talk to him, four years, I think, since he's been an elder, just being uh, 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 assaulted. That's not the right word, but, you know, just buffeted, just uh, overwhelmed for sure. Like even in the short time, you know, I was around the church somewhat during this time, not all the time, but you could see he aged 20 years in, in two. The effect was dramatic. He was a minister before, um, you know, so he was involved in doing stuff, but there was a dramatic effect on him personally, which is a terrible thing to see, but, you know, it's hard to give too much sympathy in this particular case, but yeah, there was a dramatic effect on him personally during this time. Right. And just taking very hardline stances on things. Is this the pool then be in the congregation that there's you have you have this side of the congregation that's saying we don't have to be as strict, this is like we're covered, things are okay, and then you have which he ultimately sides with the, of the congregation that's saying, No, we need to re, re we need to realign with these core values, we need to revisit them. Right. We're we not need we to do- rebuild this this foundation, right? Like they, yeah. they, they felt that to paraphrase their foundation had been eroded. Right. And so, yeah. Um, this idea of holiness living and so on and living a sanctified overcoming life. Well, I didn't say sanctified, yeah. but overcoming life. And, and that was the split that, that like, so the, the church, the quote, unquote, if we were to say the names of the churches, like your the church that you were a part of li- went with the we're going to be a little more lax because we're covered by the blood of Christ and he took a group and split off and went and started their own thing that said no we need to realign and go right. and, and get well, back to our foundation 
which was also a part of a national movement. It wasn't just local to this congregation. There was a national sure, group sure. of people. There, so there, was, there sure. was coordination between those people, I, I'm sure. And um, I think Dr. Anderson refers to it, you know, these like letters being passed around and these impassioned pleas and all this kind of stuff about, you know, don't, don't do this or do this or why we should we leave or should we return to the old ways or why that's wrong. Wow. And, and, and so, and, and again, that doesn't happen overnight. So even as early as, as when you're going through your own personal realizations of these things, he's already being affected by this. hundred percent. These are this path that's, that's that, that the, the church is marching towards. Yeah. And Dr. Anderson talks about it. There's not a lot of splits in the apostolic church. And so they just build up over time and it's been 50 years, right? And since the last split, 60 years since that last split. And so you have 60 years of this tension building between all these factors that he talks about, urban churches versus rural churches, these maybe business-minded people who dabble maybe in a little things they're not supposed to, like theology schools or listen to uh, preachers on the radio. or So there's this constant, there's this building up. And so he just kind of caught in I'm going to take a stand that wasn't welcome at a national level from the national body. And then that leads to the the final split, which again happened eight years after, I mean, a while after I left, but certainly was existing in its, I want to say infancy in its teenage rebellion ish, you know, by the time I left. Did those conversations influence you like at all? Was that part of the, the, sort of awakening or a new understanding of things that you, you came to? No, I was really terrible. I'm terrible at politics, like, like even like work politics or organizational politics. So I didn't really get it. Like I don't, for whatever reason, I can't feel or see those things. I'm so terrible at it. This was just my own exploration. Um, I remember I went to, it's called Parkside Church in Cleveland. It's a prominent like pastor on the radio was like a Scottish pastor. His name is Alistair Begg. But anyway, I remember listening to him um, and being like, ah, this, some of this makes sense to me. And I went up there on a Sunday evening. So I went to church in my church on Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon, which left me open for Sunday evening. And I went up there. (laughs) Full day. Oh my God. Yeah. And sat in to listen and just get a feel for it. And that was one of those, it's one of those experiences where you leave there and you're like, I don't know if I can ever go back. Like, how can I go sit in that church knowing that I just disagree with all of that? And I actually agree with this, which is diametrically opposed in some ways to what I'm currently wow. living. And so what sort of denomination was that more of like a, just I mean, a non-denominational, like, not like Unitarian yeah. type thing. No, no. Or, again, still very like conservative oh, okay. Calvinistic yeah. Christianity. I mean, you're not going to find anything general protestantism yeah nothing weird or crazy there for sure kind of thing you'd find on the radio yeah 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 christian radio if you turn it in now it's probably the same thing so you go and talk to this guy yeah and and you say i i i'm i'm really i can't reconcile these two versions of me that's exactly how it was and i i to this day far harder than talking to anybody else was to go in there but it wasn't driven by fear like the other things were as much. It was driven by the notion that I had a 
path forward. And this was a thing that I needed to do in order to move past it in a way that I could feel good about looking back on, i.e. don't want to just disappear, like want to talk to people and make sure they know why I'm doing this, that it's not, you know, like left because he knocked a girl up or whatever, you know, like it's, it's, it was important to me that people knew who I was and why I was doing it for whatever silly reason, because it led to like weeks of agony (laughs) because, because then I reached out to every single minister and there were six at the time, five at the time. And I met with four, four of them. So again, over a period of a couple of weeks, met with them in their houses. You know, one of them, Bauman. Um, Bauman's in, dad? Right. When in, met with him. And, and, and to his credit, he was the nicest of all of them and just wanted to make sure I was okay. Frankly. I mean, he talked about some other stuff, but it was just like, understand you feel this way. We just want to make sure you're okay and that you understand what's, you know, are you, are you hurting or did we do something? Are you upset about something? Um, the exact wow, what, opposite. What did of, you say? Well, like, I just said the same thing. Like, yes. Yes. I'm <laughs> said, hurting. Like, yes. You did something. I wish I wish go I fuck have, yourself. <laughs> yeah. I wish I had had the, uh, the emotional IQ at I the time. I could not imagine seeing that. <laughs> Mr. Bauman. <laughs> I wish I had the emotional IQ at the time to be like, yeah, you guys are killing me. <laughs> Yeah, but at the time it was just like I I was trying to reconcile a different theology that let that that was more aligned with who I knew I was as a person, and so I was just yeah. trying to explain to them theologically the idea that I couldn't be perfect and I don't understand why you want me to be perfect because it's fucking impossible to be perfect, um, and you have to be insane. You have to literally be an insane person to believe you're perfect. Like who believes that? Mm, well. <laughs> No comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. But you know what I'm saying? So, so anyway, over a period of weeks, I'm meeting 52% with. 52% of the nation. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hey. Oh, God. That's perfect. You've never seen anybody yeah. more perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I wish uh. in some ways we could get that. I don't know that Dr. Anderson would know, but I'd be very curious about the correlations because so much of what was co-opted from just general Protestantism or whatever. Anyway. Yeah. But so I, I uh, end up talking to each of them. One of them was just an absolute dick bag, like just yeah, fucking bag of dicks, you know? And you're like, Looking did any back, of them like, see the opportunity as like maybe I should try? Like, did any of them try to talk you out of it? Yeah, any that of was the bag like, of dick guy. Yeah, the bag of dick guy. Yeah, just like yeah, it was like the gentle like bleeding that must have had. Like, just like, no, but it was the opposite of that, right? It wasn't like, hey, we're concerned about you. Let's talk through some of your theological concerns. Maybe we can find a way to meet in the middle, or maybe we yeah. can explain to you our perspective. It was talking down to you. This, um, jet. Just yeah, because that's how you win somebody it. over that already has doubts about what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> like, They're kind of putting it on you, I'm guessing, too. Like, Yeah. Oh, for sure. <sighs> yeah. So going through that experience. But again, I took the time to reach out and sit down and talk with each of them in a what I would consider almost a hostile environment, i.e. their house, right? You're going into somebody's personal space 
and having these conversations. And so after Tell those don't two, believe what they believe, essentially. Yeah. Like yes. it's yeah. And that it's, house could very well be built upon those beliefs that you're yeah. that you are coming in to say, Yeah, I am I, I'm not buying this. <laughs> like so after those four conversations, I was like, Hey Merle, we need to talk. I've done this. We are not meeting at your house because though it sucks <laughs> going uh, to people's houses. <laughs> yeah. I would like a neutral place. So we met at Bob Evans. I bought him a pie, like a wow. piece of pie. We had a pie and coffee. Um, and it was what it wasn't confrontational. Again, to the to his credit, I mean, he was probably feeling defeated in general just as a leader at that point. I, I mean, I yeah. just overwhelmed and frustrated and whatever. Like, I'm sure if I sat down with him today, the context of our conversation would be very different. Like, I'm gonna go back and say it. Steiner's already said it and reiterated it, but like decent, hardworking, well-meaning, thoughtful for the most part individuals who just come up against these artificial barriers that their church puts up and they just lose their, lose sense of, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's um, terrible. (laughs) It's awful to see great people like that. I, I, I agree. And, and I think that that is part of what my problem with a lot of organized religion is, is they all paint themselves into a corner that you, you need to be able to grow and change with this world. You have to. And if you, I, 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 I don't know. Well, because we get more information, right? Like, that's just it. You make decisions based on the information you have. I mean, for the longest time. And God gave it. If you believe in God, God gave us these brains to think this way and to to understand that and to to be able to adapt and change um, through those things. For the longest time, I was embarrassed about my, like, process of joining the church and kind of almost felt like I fell for something, you know, they, they got me. Yeah. But then looking back, you just kind of realize I was just doing the best with the information I had. And right yeah. now I'm doing the best with the information. I can listen to this interview 10 years from now and feel differently on things. And I feel no obligation right. to do otherwise, but um, just doing the best with the information that I had and the, the, who I am as a personality and um, you know, trying to go about, you know, bettering oneself and it it just not being the right fit. And unfortunately in this case, it leads to all kinds of heartbreak and pain and divisiveness and, you know, relationships are just never the same, no matter how you, you look at them. There are people who are great to me. I was working again at a business owned by apostolic Christians. And there were people who are great and looked out for me, frankly, um, oh, just made my life better in some ways. And there were just some real pieces of shit, unfortunately. Yeah. And, um, which is everywhere, right. every, every, every community that right. you're a part of. I and there like. are people who are, who are good people who were pieces of shit just because of that circumstance. But there are people who are just pieces of shit, no matter what. And they just yep. kept being pieces yep. of shit, um, to me afterwards. So, you know, they're, they're, not good people. So, you know, um, seeing that range, I think over the, t- over time has helped me get to the point where I just have to come to the realization that humans are just, most people really are trying to do the best they can. There are some people who aren't, but a lot of people really are. And so 
being a little bit patient and yeah. extending a little bit of grace and kindness when it doesn't necessarily seem like the easiest or best course of action um, can be helpful. It doesn't mean you excuse terribleness or mistreatment or habitual shittiness for sure. But, you know, just yeah. leeway in there, I think is good. If there, um, it, it sounds like there, it, it does, it did in fact have a very similar feel, but in the opposite direction of you leaving the church. So was there a, would you say that the, um, the Bob Evans meeting was like the line of demarcation of you being a member of the church? And then yeah. when you left that, that, that meeting, you were no longer a member of the church, Correct. right? Like almost like you're anti-baptism if you if if you will afford me that uh, yeah and i think they do some sort of official thing afterwards i don't they at least do like a member meeting to let people know like yeah you're out there there was at one point like this thing where they would like i i would i would be interested if they still do this where they like remove your name from the book of life because this is this like what wait what that is fucking crazy okay like, so the, some of this he, is just like steiner like yeah <laughs> it, it, he's it, like, it's so like, he's like i knew this way before you did Twinkie. yeah like, what like, like uh, <laughs> no, you're you're, you're I, digging up things that i just barely remember and i can't <laughs> yeah. help but chuckle at the ridiculousness <laughs> of it, so, it and the reaction so from these two who are just taken aback yeah. by it yeah it just just sounds so petty like oh and now we're gonna strike him from the book of life what first off, there's a book of fucking life. Yeah, that you, yeah. That you can guys. enter people into and yes. strike them from. Apparently, yes. like yes, that, that, guys. That, that's what? so ridiculous. You, you like, need to read so the book. Ridiculous. You need to read the book of the Revelation, wherein it talks oh. about this book of life, where people are entered into it, and apparently they can be removed from it. And and I know this seems crazy. It's not just God who does this, but apparently. Uh, elders of the apostolic church also have power to do this. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> like, like, uh, uh, well, listen, priests are a direct mainline to God if you're a, a, a devout Catholic, right? So right. That you're you might as well be talking to God, who you know, because the priests go through Pope and etc. Mm -hmm. etc. all the way up. But, um, so oh, all right, so in this because we. I am definitely seeing this um, parallelism between the two things. So can you just, would you describe that if, if your baptism was the like line of your old life and becoming a member of the church and then this, this lunch or dinner um, at, at Bob Evans is like the line where you stop being a member and are now um, uh, I, I mean, I almost feel like if you leave the church, you are automatically forsaken. Like you don't have a choice. You're uh, yeah. Until you come back. Right. So what the morning after both of those events, I have to feel like there's a, a, a like after sleeping on it and waking up the next day after both of those events happening, are they similar? Are they the same? Uh, I guess yeah. that's. Did you feel similar, peace right? like I, I, after the Bob they, Evans one? Yeah, yeah. Like, were you at peace with both of those decisions? Like the morning after the the those events. Um, 
Yeah. So certainly we talked about the first one for sure, because it's probably the best I felt the entire time because you are, you are at least led to believe you're in this place of perfection. Right. And it only kind of goes downhill from there. Um, But I would say afterwards, I don't remember specifically, but I think there's probably this initial relief of just like, it's done. Right. Like you just, you just turned in the high school, the, the paper that you've been working on for three months and you don't give a shit what the grade is, but you just turn the thing in. Um, so there's that sense of relief. I definitely remember though, having these ideas, like, am I doing the right thing? You know, in, in weeks or months afterward, you'd get these, like, um, just like, am I, you know, am I doing this right? Like, did I, did I make the right decision? Am I, am I going to hell? Like, um, and would you be getting like letters and stuff from, other members who are just like, it's weighing on them. And so they're reaching out to you. Oh, so I said probably, you know what? I probably did get phone calls. I don't know if I got letters. I mean, I remember, I remember at the place I was working, I would occasionally get cornered until the owner was like, why don't you come work on sales in the office with us? And Mm, bailed me out a little bit of working out in like the general environment where you could get cornered because the elder who I had just left the church worked there. So. Oh, geez. <laughs> it's so fucking insular. It's so that, that, that that's the other, and I, yeah. it, again, that's the other piece of organized religion that I, of a lot of organized is it's so insular. It, they, tr- they infiltrate so many levels of your life that you just can't get away from it. You, you almost don't have a choice and, yeah, because the stakes are like couldn't be higher, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And they're all just I, like, this person is now going to be eternally damned. I gotta save them. Yeah, and you're like, well, I feel like I'm living in a hell on earth. <laughs> I yeah. gotta get out of this. Well, and two now, I mean, I remember having a conversation with the two owners and just being like, hey, just so you know, this is what's going on. Yeah, like I, if you don't want me to work here, I'll find something else. Like I'm not. I I'm open to whatever. I'm not trying to cause any sort of issue here because it's all people from the apostolic, not all 95%. Um, and that's when they were like, we would like you to stay probably because at the time I realized you can't really fire somebody because their religious is different, but I don't know HR rules. Right. But yeah. And, and I was willing to just, you know, be like, listen, we both know this could be unhealthy, but that's when they were like, why don't you, you know, why don't you just come in here and we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that, you know, you're, you're good. And I, I, I think very kindly and still try to send Christmas gifts and, um, you know, recognize that sort of behavior versus some of the, some of the less spectacular interactions <laughs> involving the uh, accusation that I had adopted the spirit of the antichrist. <gasps> so. <laughs> oh, that is an impressive feat if you had pulled ah, it off. I tell yeah. you, and, and to do it so casually, you know what I'm saying? Well, you look like, fantastic. Without <laughs> even trying, really. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering how you stayed so young. Yeah, that's, that's where right. golden voice comes from. A lot of things when are you, starting to make sense. When uh, you sell your soul, you know, there's some bennies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah, have you ever so, seen the Devil's Advocate, Twinkie? Yeah, I have. You remember that thing where, where, uh, where Keanu Reeves says to Al Pacino in that great climax thing? He's like, the Antichrist, and he's like, ah, 
Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm thinking about that. It's been you. <laughs> Oh, oh shit! I just remember the great Bravo. sex scenes from Devil's Advocate. That's oh, what I remember. Yeah. Oh my! Charlize, Charlize, Charlize Theron. Man, I still prefer Mad Max, Charlize, but that's yeah. oh yeah. yeah. Oh, so you you, uh, you had said that you were really proud of the way you left, mm-hmm. and I'm, I have to imagine that you mean that you didn't disappear into the night. And kind of slink off, but rather you went and talked to all of these yep. different people, had these yeah. tremendously difficult conversations. Yeah, was some and and I have to say, hearing it, it's I, I you are, uh, you are justified or whatever in being proud. That is yeah, highly commendable behavior. Whether someone is leaving a church or whatever, to just like talk it out with people and and uh, that was a level of accountability like you didn't owe them. You know, right, right. But I, I imagine you did for yourself. But yeah, just that I can look back and say, like, you know what? There, there's I didn't leave anything on the table. Um, yep. Was just honest with people. I felt like I needed to be honest with and they needed to know. And uh, I'm really glad I did it that way. Did part of you do do that? And you were saying because you kind of wanted you wanted people to know why you were leaving and stuff. I guess I just, a curious question of mine is whether or not some of that might have been as a breadcrumb trail to others who might want to find their way free of the same uh, dilemmas. I definitely had conversations with people afterwards who were like, Hey, you know, what, what, what was it like? How did you do it? Um, and, um, had some relationships with people as far as like f- people, both single and in families who left the church after I left and just had some conversations. Um, of course my life afterward, um, after I was in this, I never really joined another church as you can imagine, a slightly traumatic <laughs> experience, but attending other churches. And then I had moved to Alaska for school, uh, for air traffic control. And then in Alaska, just kind of continued a slower move away from Christianity in general. And then, um, kind of just completed the notion that like, Hey, maybe, maybe this isn't for me in general. Like there's a lot of things about this that don't mis- match up with who I am. And a lot of that being um, my support of like the LGBTQ community, which you don't find in a lot of mainstream Christianity um, or just a, a sense of tolerance at all in, in like, Hey, the person is Muslim okay, fantastic. You're a Christian. Wonderful as well. Okay. Let's just not blow each other up. And, um, just not wanting to deal with a lot of that. I think just like Palmer has said, this just dogmatic approach, it's tiresome, frankly. Yeah. Um, and you just, it kind of wears on you. So incredible. The amount of time and effort that gets put into that that religion in apostolics i guess maybe not particularly but certainly they they do invest a lot of effort there's a lot of time there's all day sunday there's wednesday evening there's other times during the week there's special events and a whole bunch of family stuff where thinking about that consumes a whole lot of bandwidth and it's from the outside it's certainly like man what are you what are you what are you guys doing like you could be accomplishing a whole lot more. 
Yep. And bizarrely, like one of the most sort of difficult things for me to rec- reckon with with religion is exactly what you guys were all talking about, but like the exclusionary nature of it. You know, it's like got to be this, and if you're this, great. But if you're not, you know, <laughs> we don't even go there. But what's especially heartbreaking about your own what, here in your story is that you felt that exclusion from within the thing that you were meant to belong yeah. to. Yeah. It's yeah. devastating. After it, this long, arduous process, your conclusion was, I'm not good enough for this. And that is. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't, people, I remember being asked, like, how did you, how did you know, like, how did you know to leave? And it's like, well, I never really felt like I had a choice to not leave. Yeah. Um, in the sense that once you get to these various conclusions, you're like, I just, I'm, I could walk around for the next 50 years pretending like I'm, I'm a member of the apostolic church, but I'm not. Is that how you viewed people in the, like members of the church? Like when you came to this conclusion, were you just like, there oh, they're just absolutely thinking. people in the apostolic church or apostolic church members in name only. There are people yeah. who I believe are gay, uh, closeted gay members of yeah. the apostolic church. 100% yeah. guaranteed for sure. Yeah. Um, who live their lives as a facade. Um, and, and, and that's not a criticism of them, kind of, I guess, but it's more a criticism of they are not given a platform in which to. The system with which they're stuck. In live which their life. They can choose yeah, to not, yeah. but I can speak to the fact that it's traumatic. Now, throw it, now, what if I was married? What if I had two kids? Right. What if I um, was uh, a Sunday school teacher now? What if I was a minister and I was having these you know, how hard is it to leave now? Um, so you can see where you, like you talked about Palmer, where you start to get involved and you get deeper and deeper and deeper in and leaving is harder than staying, no matter how you feel yeah. inside. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's yeah. sad, um, heartbreaking really to, um, to, to, to know that there are people uh, yeah. who are faking it, you know, as much as they have to. But yeah, well, and just the, well, the fear of being ostracized by their community outweighs their, any revelations that they might have with their faith mm-hmm. it, it is um, heartbreaking for me that, the, that to try to, that they, these people are forced to try to reconcile the two and just like, <clears throat> Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine it, um, and just know that I am humbled by that process that you went through. That is, yeah, and, and maybe it sheds a little more light on why it's important to me to understand a little bit more about the history of the church I grew up in, because I can contextualize some of these things that were traumatic and make them slightly less so. Um, to some degree and just make them not seem like these gigantic, huge things, but bite-sized uh, kind of puzzle pieces that fit within a larger puzzle of this tiny little world of Anabaptism. Um, yeah. And so when Dr. Anderson kind of jokingly talks about faith marriage, which is fucking insane, um, you realize like, okay, like it's even a joke with an Anabaptism. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Nobody really yeah. believes that 
So <laughs> you're just married somebody because they look hot. So uh, anything beyond and you that, don't even like, have to ask them out. You just have no. to talk to other dudes about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Insane. Yeah. Oh. And God told me, so it has yeah. to happen, right? I can you argue yeah. with that, yeah. Unless you're Heidi. I guess you do. No, Heidi. He's like <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's badass though. Like like even that is like a, a, a certain level of uh fucking sure. the the norm, right? Like uh I'm sure that does not happen a lot. It doesn't. But can you imagine? You've said you can you imagine that you've said yes. You both believe in faith that you're supposed to be married together. Then you hang out with someone for like, and after the third time, you're like, whoa, shit. (laughs) Yeah. This is not happening. (laughs) But there, but, uh, well, I guess she she was lucky enough to have even had those third meetings because I don't know what it was specifically. but, But even with this like faith marriage, though, there are, and this was, so this was after, you had joined, um, and and Steiner is is married and doing marriage, and my mar- my first marriage had fallen apart, and so I was I was hanging out a lot with with uh, Sammy a lot, and so like just some of these questions though you know it was again because I never got any inclination he was going to join, so I felt it was safe to ask some of these questions and. Uh, like it blew my mind where he was like it, it there are some people in the apostolic church who get married and it is they don't con- like in the traditional sense of consummating the marriage that doesn't happen on their wedding night you know cuz like a big part of the apostolic faith is and again this is my lay understanding of it is sex is not for pleasure it's to procreate and and the joke was uh i uh <laughs> Aaron said this joke was that you could always tell the apostolics that liked sex because they had a lot of kids, but they did, they didn't own a farm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, and also like, they probably don't even, no one's ever talked to them about sex. They don't even know how to have sex other than like, maybe they watch some porn at some point. The idea of getting married and spending your wedding night and and Sammy, if he was here to like say this joke, because my response was like, that's bullshit, because I guarantee you whether or not they have sex, every one of those dudes are in the bathroom jerking off, (laughs) (laughs) which I'm sure that of course they're not. Right. Uh, Well, Uh, (laughs) but uh, July 7th. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, it, it is. So all that to say, though, it 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 is possible in the apostolic church because it is this faith-based marriage that the first time you could be seeing your partner that you're supposed to spend the rest of your life with is on your wedding. Right. Like, like, because, well, no, you, you, you might are, marry somebody who's in another church, right? You're still meeting with them and traveling and oh, spending okay. time together in the, in the, in the confines of other people for sure. Okay. But you're not still, dating conventionally. But no, like, no. Of course I, not. I mean, and there is some level of counseling like premarital, but I think it's really basic. Like, yeah, that shit is bullshit. I, I, when, yeah, because I got married too young to someone who didn't really want it. And I didn't know that until it was too fucking late. But we had this like, and that was, it was a Lutheran thing. And so we had a sort of premarital thing, counseling and like even like some sort of formalized test. 
And I was like crying out for help in that motherfucker, <laughs> like hoping that this person would help address some things that I didn't know how else to to talk about. And he did not. <laughs> I think he yeah. sort of sensed perhaps that I, because obviously you see my test, you're going to be like, all right. But he did not intervene, did not bring things. Right. It, was, it, was, it was a formality at best. And that's just like garden variety Lutheran shit. So I can't imagine. Oh yeah, this is like... Yeah. This is like uh, wives be submissive to your husbands as Christ loved the church. And, um, uh, you know, like stuff like you would read in the Bible. It's not like we're following some sort of healthy therapeutic approach to, you know, relationships in the 20th century. (laughs) You know, nothing, nothing like nuts. That's the thing that gets me every time I hear even these basic words of like conservative and progressive. It's just like, so either you accept that as new knowledge comes in and you know how shit affects people for better and for worse, particularly being careful about what affects people negatively, you take that into account and you move forward accordingly to do as little as harm as possible or you hold on to this thing that benefits a small number of people while fucking devastating everyone else and be like, well, this is the way it's got to be. Yeah. It's, it's always unfathomable. been this way. Yeah. <laughs> unfathomable. But it's All like with the, the argument the of it's faith. And, and, and they say, like, I accept that as because that's the def like. Yeah, some would argue that's the definition of faith. Is that well, in, and in, but, but the people in, in power the all this new within in these the organizations like, that benefit from this shit that, sure. that don't want to let go of their power. That I don't know. Maybe I, that's getting way off topic. I guess because this, I yeah. think, more so than most, this this tradition that we've described is so centered around this idea. I don't know. I'm getting lost in it now. I'm just getting mad. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Steiner, what was your perspective on it? You know, from out, you know, obviously never participating or, I mean, I always joke and say, well, God never talked to me. I don't, God never talked about a lot of things, but he certainly didn't talk to me other than like, wow, she's kind of cute. But how is that? <laughs> how do you, how are you supposed to tell the difference between yourself, i.e. 20 year old horn dog and God in that case, if it's just yeah. based on some sort of like, well, her head covering's like the right size and she's, she's kind of cute and she seems to be pretty cool. Like, all right, she's going that in. Skirt. Yeah. Versus like, you know, whatever. So I, I'd yeah. be curious. Like, what That's the, the idea of divine intervention or the voice of God or anything like that is, you know, obviously I find that to be nonsensical. This is all explained by other uh, reasons, other natural reasons reasons and it makes it seem very silly when you look at it from that perspective um but i think dave from what you were saying just a minute ago about this this edifice that they have built up the trick is is once you accept a couple of things it's all internally consistent and it's very Mm -hmm. difficult to argue against from the inside because it is faith it is god of course it was god that did this um it couldn't possibly been uh, you know, Joe looking at the cute girl, uh, selecting her as a wife. It was obviously the voice of God. Uh, and it's just the whole system that works together. Yeah. It, it works out thing, great for Joe. Right. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> the, the thing I, I, I always come back to when talk thinking about people joining the church is something that 
one of Twinkie's family members uh, is reported to have quipped uh, that was basically Twinkie and his cousin are too smart to join the church. Uh, they would they would never fit in. And I, what was meant by that wasn't that they're book smart or that they're not not that you aren't book smart, Twinkie. Not that no, you're a very intelligent person. Um, yeah, but meaning that they think too much or they ask too many questions or they're too self aware. Exactly the journey that Twinkie has described of wanting to understand more and wanting to see how things worked and wanting to parse through how he fits into things is almost incompatible with that system. If you accept it at the face value, if you accept it at the internally consistent level, it all works and you can get along just fine. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you get the people who are in name only, or if you'd go a little bit deeper yet to where Twinkie was and is, uh, you get somebody who says, no, this, this isn't a thing. I, I, I see through this now. And then it falls apart. Yeah. And it falls apart quick. <laughs> it's that adage like about the black, I heard only recently about the black sheep of like, of whatever, like a family of a, you know, a lost sheep perhaps in this case from the, from the church. There we go. Is ostracized and seen from within as the, the bad apple, you know, the black sheep, the one that is wrong, where from the rest of everyone's perspective, like from the people outside of that system or the black sheep itself, it might be the only one to see everything for the bullshit that it is. <laughs> yeah. Know? Right. And, uh, but I, I, it's one of the things I admire most about you, other than the sort of forthright way that you move through all this and, and, uh, is is that is that questioning and then because at the root of so much of it seems to be that kind of like i don't want to hurt other people and i and i don't want to hurt you know yeah i don't need to hurt myself, hurt myself yeah. you know yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but i don't want to lie to people i don't want to make be disingenuous right um you know uh, and it, it it would lead to a breakdown i don't know how mentally i could have handled it frankly to be able to live like this dual life it would have been awful. Who wants to do that? Who wants to be one yeah. thing around someone else and then then be your true self when nobody's looking, as it were? That sounds like shit. <laughs> Nobody, you couldn't even survive doing that. Well, and you had, maybe for better or worse, close contact with some examples of that. Mm -hmm. or a little bit forewarned in that situation. I think that may have been a, a beneficial thing. Yep. One of my cousins, older cousins, had left the church. Maybe five years. Was this years. the same cousin that uh, uh, was at the cabin that one night? No, no, no. Okay, yeah. different. One of my many other cousins. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so I had a similar experience, or you know, just kind of. I remember reaching out to him and just being like, "Hey, you know, I, I he 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 was helpful. He was, but he was also like, you know, if you need anything, let me know. But also, just kind of do your thing. Don't feel like you have to do something just because that's the way I did it, or you know, you know, it's okay to be your own person and I'll help you if you need it. And uh, yeah, for sure. Having my own trailblazer in a sense though we left differently for sure um, was helpful. Well, this was, I don't know, this was a long time coming and I think we like, I don't know, we would build it up and it'd be kind of cryptic in some ways, but it was really, <laughs> um, 
yeah, I don't know. I really appreciate you you digging deep for Absolutely. this. Absolutely. I mean, from everything from the the candidness, the the honesty, the getting out that yeah. letter from our oh. our grade school principal, Jim yeah, Stafford. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you so much for this. Thank you. I've thank really you, thank enjoyed you so it. Much. Steiner, I, same to you. Thank you so much for your course, your course. time. And I always enjoy Steiner's perspective um, as well, and hopefully get to hang out again in December. Absolutely, absolutely. You guys want to come down to Dayton? Let me know. Yeah, head down this way. All right, or meet in Columbus even because it's like kind of central. So I'd be up for that too. So a really big shout out again to Dave. I mean Palmer, of course, you made it possible just by you know encouraging it to happen with Doctor Anderson and Dave. I had nothing to do with this. Alleviated my anxiety with multiple Zoom meetings that he didn't have to do, and I really appreciate it. It was really good. Yeah. Well, that's nice to be to say. It was, but it was truly a pleasure so, so. Yeah. thanks I, I just really hope you got something from it and i hope yeah. that and i and again i appreciate you sharing because it, it yeah. is it has been one of those things if i could say selfishly a friend that i have always it's a, an, an area of your uh, an era of your life that i have always been curious about so i appreciate the, the glimpse into that it's healthy for me to talk about now for sure i think in a sense yeah. that i can review it now a little differently and each time I talk about it, each time I add more information, like we talked, you know, as you grow and evolve, makes those conversations a little easier. And I'm a little less hard on myself for some of the poor decisions and um, silliness. So, awesome. All right, yeah. man. See you guys. Good deal. Yeah, Thanks so much. Care. Have a great night, guys. Yeah. Have love a good you guys. Long yep. Love you guys too. There it is. Long walk, short drink, episode 89. Thank you to Palmer for being my friend and podcasting co-pilot here. Thank you to Moto for his rock and theme song. Very special thanks to Twinkie and Steiner for sharing. If you'd like to write to Twinkie, he has an email address dedicated to the to the show and is encouraging folks to uh, to contact him at uh, or by writing to three three o cabin kid at gmail.com. You can email the show lwsdpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at lwsdpod uh, lwsdpod.com for show archive and links to other related media subscribe rate review on whatever platform you're hearing or seeing me on right now and uh thank you so much for for joining us and, and for for giving us your time stay tuned for that uh that nj's in the jeff sizzle reel if that's uh of interest to you and until next time cheers long walkers So. I brought six pairs of socks. I'm wearing a fresh pair of socks every day and throwing the old ones out. <laughs>
first pants did you bring, Liz? <laughs> no, I did bring I have three pairs of jeans, two pairs of sweatpants, and a pair of shorts. Whoa! Wow! Get out! <laughs> How many times do you plan on shitting yourself? Yeah. <laughs> and Jason's Jeff. Spring tour. Spring tour. In Van Capo. Rubber band and a pencil. If you got a problem, you'll all solve it. What's your pin number? What's your account number? I don't know. Social security number? What's your address? <laughs> Street Akron, Ohio. What's your phone number? Akron, uh, Ohio. I don't know my phone number. <laughs> you don't need that. You have my identity, just don't call me. First show? Faux show. For the first show. <laughs> Damn good. We got money, we got food, we got drinks. We got everything. We got everything. We got everything. It's fantastic. I don't hate you, but I hope you die. This is all the money we have. And we're gonna we're gonna lose it all. We're gonna get mugged. I brought a knife though, just in case. In case we got uh, a little stabby stabby. Kentucky. The wind coming off the mighty Mississippi. So high river. It, making it really cold. <laughs> we're in God's country now. That's where we're going. Yeah, I hear that. That's an amen on there, big 10 4. Let me see this hair. I feel like a dirty little kid. <laughs> Here we go. We're going to the world's most awesome flea market. Five shirts for 50 bucks. They trade guns for puppies. Give him your gun, they'll give you a puppy. Liz already wants to go home. I don't want to die here. I don't want to die here either, Liz. I want to die in Nashville. I'll die in Nashville, that's fine. Where are we at? Downtown Nashville. Guitars, these guys are like world famous in vintage guitar dealing. Ah, Dust out of my hair. Howdy, folks. Good to all meet you. We're NJ's in the gym. Back or the Check out my boots. Check them out. <laughs> you just laugh. Oh my god, is that David Mayfield of the Grand Old Opera? Oh my god, I think that's David oh my Mayfield. My god, is that David Mayfield of the Grand Old Opera? <laughs> Always marry an ugly girl, that's the only kind. She'll never ever leave you, and if she does, you won't mind. <laughs> Where are we? We are at the food bar, right outside Nashville. And I'm too sad. <laughs> Rock and roll! 
getting way too close to my face with that thing. I don't appreciate it. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs>